everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 143rd episode of the podcast, airing September 6th, 2022. Now, in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome back round two of the Retrograde Gang to the program, where special guests Shu Yap and Spencer Michaud join me once more to talk about one of the hottest topics of 2022, and that is Mars Retrograde in Gemini. Now, Shu, Spencer, and myself unpack the seven-month-long transit of Mars in Gemini, which is punctuated by the Warriors Retrograde Cycle from October 30th through January 12th of 2023. We do a deep dive to look at this transit from many angles, including Mars myths, tarot correspondences, the fixed stars involved, historical comparisons, and of course, the key transits that will light up Mars's journey through Mercury's mutable air sign. Now, the fall eclipses also come up for discussion as the Scorpio season will be backed by this out-of-bounds Mars and just in time for Election Day here in the U.S., So there is no shortage of action here. So we hope that you find our treatment of this transit useful in planning the months ahead. Now to see the three of us gab while also stepping through the charts, you can tune into the video version of this episode on YouTube. Now, if you'd like to support this program, come on over to energeticprinciples.com where you can leave a tip if you like, or you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, which is chocked full of inspiration, I guess inspiration, information and inspiration. And it goes out at the beginning of each month uh, to help you stay in the know for all the action that is ahead. So definitely go sign up for that. And of course, I do personal consultations. And so I will just highlight that I do have a consultation called Future Vibes, which is a three-month hotspot consultation, which is just that. It helps you look into kind of a seasonal chunk ahead. And so I just wanted to bring this up in case anybody's looking to really dive deeper into what the Mars retrograde, retrograde cycle is going to look like for you, as well as the eclipses, because we are coming up on some hot spot months ahead here. So if there's any time to book uh, the three-month hotspot reading, I would say now might be a good time. So if that is of interest to you, once again, come on over to energeticprinciples.com and check out my services page. All right, so who is ready to hear all about Mars retrograde in Gemini? Here we go. Now let's meet our guests. All right. I am so happy to welcome back to the program. We have the retrograde gang with us. (laughs) Spencer Michaud and Shu Yap are joining me once again to do a retrograde episode, this time with Mars, because that is the the hot news in the skies, I guess pun intended, uh, that Mars will be going retrograde here in the fall of 2022. So thank you for joining me, Spencer and Shu. Lovely to be here. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, thanks, Mel. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So we have so much to talk about. So much because it is Mars and Gemini. But uh, (laughs) uh, before we get started here, just in case you haven't uh, caught Spencer or Shu before, Spencer was just on the program. We did uh, cancer season, didn't we? We did. I know we did because cancer, we're two cancers. Um, And Spencer and Shu both joined me for the Venus retrograde uh, show back at uh, in November of last year. 
But just in case you haven't caught those, Spencer, uh, briefly tell us who you are, etc. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, a professional astrologer from Ypsilanti, Michigan. And um, I have a YouTube channel called Spencer Michelle Astrology, where I do uh, some live streams for the new and full moons and do monthly live streams as well. So that's a great place to, uh, to catch me. And I do, I do readings. I have a special interest in the Deccans. So that's something I've been kind of diving into for the last uh, couple of years here. And um, just really love the, the stories, the myths and everything. And uh, just excited to be here today. That's the, that's the Reader's Digest Gemini version. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love Spencer. So that's why he's joining us here. We're just two crabs in a shell. Um, <laughs> and I love you as well. My, our Aussie, our Aussie counterpart speaking from tomorrow over there in Australia. Yeah. So Shu, thanks for joining us again. And uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, consulting astrologer. I also teach. I've been teaching uh, for Kepler this year, and I live on a farm. And I'm a mother of three, and I have a hectic, busy life. And um, I do do a regular weekly um, um, intercycle observator news that's been going really well. Um, I've started that this year as my Mercury project. So um, that's probably the best way to connect with me through my weekly news. Love it. Yes. So, uh, of course, Spencer and Shu's information will all be shared um, on my website and at the end of this program. So if you want to find them, stay tuned or look in the description of this podcast because it'll be there too. Uh, And you can follow up with everything they have to share. But for now, we got to get into this Mars retrograde in Gemini because, ooh, there's spicy. a lot to talk about. It is it's spicy, <laughs> spicy. It's airy. I mean, I'm having as we're speaking here. I'm having my first Mars retrograde or first Mars return because I have Mars in Gemini, um, and I will get. I am lucky enough to get three conjunction passes because mm-hmm. of this retrograde <laughs> cycle. Uh, but uh, hopefully, I'll be able to bring a little something to the table of what Mars retrograde looks like. Not re- retrograde, but Mars and Gemini in general. Um, but uh, let's go over just a few details about the retrograde cycle itself and what we're going to cover here in this podcast today. Um Basically, Mars, you're probably already feeling it, people, because Mars has been in Gemini uh, since August 20th. So we're we're already getting a taste. We're already in what they call that shadow period. If you subscribe to shadows, we are definitely getting shadowy here. Um, And, you know, Mars is going to be there for a seven-month stay, and that is a long time in Mars and Gemini, you know, because as a native, I'm impatient. <laughs> so Mars and Gemini for seven months is like, good Lord. I mean, who are you? Ah, I'm built for it. I can only imagine <laughs> what others might be going through. Um, but that being said, August 20th through March 25th of 2023, uh, we will have Mars in Gemini. Uh, Mars is going to station retrograde at 25 degrees and 36 minutes of Gemini on October 30th, uh, right before Halloween. So we get a, a juicy Mars retrograde near Halloween and right in the middle of the eclipses. So put that in your pocket for later. We'll talk about that. Uh, and also it's going to station direct at eight degrees and seven minutes of Gemini on January 12th. Um 
So that's some just a few uh, details here. Now, uh, in this program, we're basically going to, we're going to unpack some of the cycle of this area that's been traversed by Gemini. We're going to look into the myths associated with maybe Mars and Gemini, some fixed star action, some tarot action, some historical comparisons, a couple of the key transits involved with this. Uh, and also, most importantly, how do we deal with it? <laughs> how do we manage the energy of Mars retrograde and Mars and Gemini in general? So uh, one of the things I want to point out just to start is to think about that this this area of Gemini is it's not it's not that it hasn't been touched before. This is kind of like a three part series with Mars following what Mercury did here in these same degrees last year in its retrograde, uh, and then the year before that in 2020, Venus retrograded in these same degrees uh, with these same squares to Neptune. So, I mean, Shu uh, Spencer, any thoughts on? what Mars brings to the table of this already heavily trafficked area of the Zodiac? Um, you know, Mars is a, you know, in traditional astrology, Mars is something that severs and separates and speeds up and heats up. So, you know, it, it has its own agenda. So when it's moving through Gemini, it's trying to, you know, do those particular things with the resources of Mercury, which is the ruler of, of Gemini. So instead of like when Venus is moving through that territory, there's a different uh, planetary agenda, which may be harmonizing or bringing things together rather than separating them apart. So I think that's, that, that first of all, I think stands out to me um, with Mars moving through this territory as opposed to those other planets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just on that, sort of concept of severing you know I've been really thinking about you know what is like the more sacred divine um, form of that idea of se severing and I'm reminded of something I saw in your podcast now when Michael J Morris um, spoke about relationships you know that we're um, and I'm just paraphrasing here because he said it much better than I did that we're, we're actually born together um, and it's the separation that enables us to experience ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and this reminds me a little bit of like the act of like, say, the rites of passage where we're essentially severing our minds and our thoughts um, and what we identify with so that we can come to some kind of rebirth. And I think this is this kind of more sacred energy of Mars, which often gets a really bad rap for, you know, being a malefic, uh, bad planet. But I think it does what we uh, try to avoid to do, which is the hard work in severing, you know. Mm. So, and the idea that, you know, the word conscious is actually comes from the word um, to cut, you know, con is with. And the second part of conscious is the, the etymology comes from the word to cut. So to be conscious requires us to to do things with cutting, to make decisions, yeah. you know. And that comes with that sort of the myth of Ur as well, you know, where judgment takes place, you know, having to separate the good from the bad. Um, so I think I like to try and remind myself that there is this very um, – a more divine version of Mars that um, that that it's what its purpose is. Oh, 
I love that shoe because, you know, if, when someone says separate cuts, we immediately think, what are we going to lose? You know, mm-hmm. like what's going to go away? What are we going to be parted from? What? But that that's so true. It's like to live a life that is connected with your purpose and your mission. That's a very Mars world word, you know, to live in, in purpose to your mission. You can't do it all. You can't have it all. You can't like Gemini might think so, you know, I can juggle this and I can juggle that and do that. But this is a very mutable territory. Um, and that's the beauty of Mercury as a planet and backing Mars is Mercury is that kind of like finite, tearing it down. Let's decipher. Let's, you know, like get down to the nitty gritty of it so that we know like what we want to pursue. And I think that's going to be, I mean, that's a theme of Mars going retrograde to begin with, because a lot of times we're pulled back because we need to recollect ourselves towards what it is that we want to pursue. And we ha- kind of have that time out every, I don't know, how many, uh, every 18 months, every, is that how long it takes for Mars to go retrograde? Am I doing that math right? 18 months, two years? Around about 18 months to two months, years. Yeah. 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 So, it, so. I, I love that. Let's let's frame it because it could be that can sound scary to some. It sounds scary to me. Oh, maybe I'll just out myself there. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, on some level though, you, to to live a conscious life, like she was talking about, you you have periods of growth and then you have periods of decay, and you sometimes have to remove something to make room for the next cycle for that which wants to grow in the future. So if we had unchecked growth. Um, if we didn't trim like the bonsai tree, I do bonsai trees and you have to trim it and shape it, right? If you didn't trim it, it wouldn't take shape. It wouldn't have form and it wouldn't promote healthy, the healthy growth of the plant. So I think if we're just think of it in natural terms, those malefic planets serve a very important purpose, malefic quote unquote, we, we have to come to terms with the cycles of death and of removal and of loss. And I think that that's really important when we come into alignment with Mars and, and Saturn in particular. Mm, yeah. Yes, it's dealing with separations. You know, Mars is the fast and intense, you know, short separations, whereas Saturn is the long, drawn-out kind of cold separations. So um, in human nature where we want to grasp onto everything and and attach to everything, that's the conundrum. But Mars in Gemini, we're essentially focusing particularly on the air element, you know, all these thoughts and ideas that we've had. And there's been a lot of thoughts and ideas over the last couple of years since Venus retrograded in Gemini that sort of brought on this whole, almost like the impetus of this whole new world that we're in. Um, There's a lot of stuff that we have to cut through right now a lot of noise that we have to cut through. So that is the challenge, I think, of Mars in retrograde in Gemini. Yeah. No, I feel that. I feel like I, in my own life, I'm, I'm set, I'm uh, severing an old path to begin a new one. And part of the difficulty is, um, fully severing the old path, finding Mm -hmm. the resources and reaching out to other people to help me sever that. Because for me, it deals with like, property, things that I own that needs it, et cetera. But then I have this new path that is developing, uh, but it can't fully develop and go forward, A, because there's something holding that back, but B, because there's too much, too many ideas behind it. 
And so I couldn't even move forward with that anyways, because I still have to piece out all these ideas that are just like collecting in my brain, like a big, <laughs> you know, there's the, that's where the Mars needs to come in because they're not all viable. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so which ones, you know, cut out some and which ones am I going to attach to? Um, and maybe I will know in spring of <laughs> 2023. And I think no. that's the beauty of the retrograde in Mars in Gemini, you know, coming um, I'm thinking of the myth of Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey. You know, he said he says that, you know, it is that leap of faith into the unknown. And once you get there, if you do see a path, then that's not the place you're meant to be. So we mm-hmm. exactly mimicking what you're saying is that, you know, we don't know what we don't know and we're fearful of, of, of stepping into something we don't know of. Um, but once you're there, you could potentially find your bliss. And I think that's the gift of Mercury. I mean, uh, Mars retrograde here is to gift us that courage to be able to step into an unknown world where we can find our will and bliss. Yeah. And I would say, just to add to that, is that, you know, Mercury likes to proliferate things in Gemini, right? And when we have a proliferation of thoughts or ideas, that can be overwhelming. That can produce a lot of anxiety, frustration. Um, and Mars, I think, is there to weed the garden of our mind on some level, right? And just take a scythe and say, you know, this is not, like you were saying, not viable. But but what I tell, tell a lot of clients that have Gemini placements is, you know, when we get into the myths a little more heavily, we'll we'll talk a little bit about sacrifice when we sacrifice you know when we talk about castor and pollux and the sacrifice of immortality for for the mortal twin you've got to think about it less like what i'm giving up and think about more about what do i want to really commit to and breathe life into because you see that the transition from gemini to cancer is you're taking that that idea that thought and you're infusing it into a body to be nurtured into fruition so that's part of this cycle is how do we eliminate some of the extra options so that we can decide what is most important to us and breathe life into it. Yeah. Because it's not always good to have options. <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> too, many, man. too many options. I have anxiety. Too many yeah. options. It doesn't get anything done. Um, so that that's something to think about as we roll forward with this program. Um, and we're probably going to see it come up a, a few times. So stick stick with that. And as Spencer had pointed out early earlier, and we'll we'll keep an eye on it when we get into some more of the transit stuff. Is really we got to think about the quality of what Mercury is doing in the sky the whole time because Mercury. You know, Mars is not in its own sign. It's in Mercury's sign. So whatever Mercury is doing is going to uh, play a key role in how the Mars retrograde is going to go down. Um, And we might be feeling it now as we're recording this and we're in the shadow phase and we have Mercury about to go retrograde on the 9th of September. Um, And it's in its own retrograde that almost leads us in to this preparatory period of what Mars is doing here too. So um, that's the thing within itself. So just keep in mind that it's not just Mars. Where's Mercury? Where's your head at? Um, because there's going to be different flavors, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. of Mars retrograde. Yeah. And and just to add to that, the, of the different flavors, you know, the, the whole entire retrograde um, phase 
is also it also has distinct little chapters you know we've got the the phase where it goes station retrograde which is probably the most intense i think challenging time of the retrograde then we have the middle section where it makes that opposition to the sun uh, which is that the big ordeal you know that mars has to go through and then after it passes that opposition to the sun and heads towards the direct station um, you know, we can see a bit of an easing off of that too. So I think we'll we'll get to um, experience, you know, the journey um, of Mars, you know, in you know as the plot thickens and then subsides. Um, so um, yeah, not sure whether you wanted to know the dates, but I, I think the the big um, ordeal, you know, the Sun Mars opposition, uh, what we call. Um, that curtailed passage, you know, when the sun is, Mars is, you know, um, rising at the same time as the sun is setting and they, but you can't see Mars, um, that that sort of happens around the 8th of, uh, around the 8th of December, you know, that's potentially when we could see a big climax happening with this retrograde cycle. Yeah, right on a full moon, as Spencer and I That's have been right. talking about. Yeah, we're that so we're definitely on. gonna talk about, about December seventh, eighth, because yeah. that will be a big part of the this Merc or this Mars retrograde cycle. Um and it got me thinking to uh earlier because uh, you know, and we've talked about this before when we were talking about the Venus retrograde. Um you know, when we think about Mercury and Venus's cycle with the sun and their retrograde movements and how there is this pivotal point where it's rebirthed into the flames, you know, it's totally combusted by the sun and reached that Cassini moment. But Mars is totally different because it is on the other side of Earth. So it is reaching, as Shu just said, uh, it, its middle point is the actual an opposition to the sun. Um, and how that is a different flavor. It's almost like a, like a showdown <laughs> between the two, you know, like someone sizing up for like a duel or, you know, versus this kind of like rebirthing into the flames kind of quality. And so I don't know if either of you had any thoughts about kind of the difference of energy that comes with kind of the turning point of the retrograde cycle. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I do actually because I, I presented. There's a free webinar that I've done. It's on YouTube and the Kepler page on um, planetary phases, and I go into exactly all of this. But so yeah, being Venus being an inferior planet and Mars being an, a superior planet, um, they have you know slightly different, I guess, templates in the way they cycle with the sun, and so what essentially happens with Mars is that it will lose power after the opposition with the sun because it's essentially going into its weaker evening star phase. Whereas with Venus and Mercury, the inferior planets, when it makes that, um, when it um, comes out of that superior conjunction, you know, the the so-called halfway part of their um, cycle, they in effect, gain strength because they're stronger as evening mm. stars. So there's they kind of swap strengths, you know, based on morning and evening. So we tend to see Mars being more mature after it's been through that retrograde cycle. You know, it's it's not as gung-ho as the Mars in the morning star. Mm -hmm. um, it is destabilized, you know, at that opposition point and it comes out a bit bruised and battered, but with a bit more consciousness, you know, having 
been through the purification, having severed, having cut through um, what it is that it needed to let go of, probably something to do with the ego, something to do with one's identity. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's a huge difference between those inferior and superior planets. Um, we hopefully will see the world becoming, you know, a little bit more sub- less intense from a Mars perspective, um, but it would be more of a repressed expression of Mars as an evening star. And it probably cools down the heat too, right? Because, you know, if you have that morning star Mars, it's heating things up and you, you know, Mars is that lunar sect uh, defender, I guess, on some level. It's the defender of the life force of the body. So you put it in the in an evening star phase, probably functions a little bit, I would say, I know it's not as strong, but would it be more f- effective, would you say, Shu, or more, maybe less, um, I don't know, uh, bringing us less vitriol? <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just more <laughs> behind the scenes, yeah. right? <laughs> I think it's more behind the scenes. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you know, I've got three sons with all evening star Mars, and I think yeah. it's, you know, the thing that I notice the most is that you know, they they might just not be able to communicate as well and it might sort of uh, react in more kind of, um, you know, explosive anger, but, you know, it seems to come out of nowhere. But but I think the Morningstar Mars types are more likely to be able to express their anger more outwardly as opposed to withholding that and then becoming more resentful about Mm. that, you know. Um, and you know, I, I think a big, star Mars right here. So yeah, right. <laughs> can, can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, star think, Mars. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'll get it out and then it's gone get it, and, and better yeah. out than in. Yeah. I, I'm a brooder. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the one thing that I think really drives that is this sense of injustice, you know, um, and how well one is able to, um, stand up for what they feel is unjust or what whether they can stand up for it openly or whether they get resentful about it and be victimized by it you know I think there's a strong sense of of injustice tied up to that Mars archetype that makes gives them the impetus to either want to fight or get really um, angry (laughs) yeah well, and I think this is where we'll have to, we were kind of alluding to this whole conversation point about, um, around that full moon and that, uh, sun Mars opposition on around December 7th. But it's interesting what you say, Shu, when we think about kind of that meeting of consciousness that then kind of quells Mars a little bit to then go kind of within itself. And who knows if the anger is dispersed, right? But it at least gets a moment of like, hmm. But I think leading up to that, you know, because I think it's going to be Sagittarius season, we're, we're going to have a repeat of some of that nodal action, basically, that we just went through with Gemini and Sagittarius, because a lot of the tension of the Sun-Mars sun uh, meeting is going to happen in that, uh, in that mutable space. And that's another thing with uh, Mars being, when it meets the Sun in its opposition, uh, that's also when it's, it's going to be the closest to Earth on November 30th. 
So there's this whole like Mars is the closest to us on November 30th. They have the the showdown on the 7th of December. And so the early part of December just seems like this hot spot moment where Mars is just heating, heating up, heating up, heating up to turn that to turn that page. And so that will be interesting as far as the cycle goes. But I know there's going to be lots brewing within that because obviously, you know, there's going to be eclipses involved uh, that happened just before this. So that will play an interesting role here, which we'll talk about a little later in the program. Um, But one of the things that uh, Spencer brought to my attention about this uh, Mercury, or sorry, I keep saying Mercury. I'm just used to Mercury (laughs) retrograde. (laughs) Mars retrograde uh, cycle is that Mars is going to, Mars is going to be out of bounds for the entire seven months. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, out of bounds is a condition where the planet moves um, outside of the normal path of the sun, either north or south of the ecliptic. And you can measure that by, I believe it's 23 degrees and 36 minutes, right, Shu? Uh, north or for south Mars, of the ecliptic. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it is for Mars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so what we're looking at is the planet that is out of bounds. And, and the moon goes out of bounds, you know, two or three times a month for like four days at a time. Um, so it's not that uncommon for, for a planet, but uh, it's the planet is not really going to be under the authority of the solar king that they used to talk about in traditional astrology. And the way we can kind of modernize that is it's like the planet doesn't really care about maybe a social agenda. It's, it's not going to conform to society's expectations. It's going to be almost a, a more pure expression of itself without having to feel the need to follow the rules. And when Mars is out of bounds, I mean, you can imagine that like anger may be, you know, extreme, right? Whereas if moon out of bounds, our bodies may feel a little bit tired or we may feel emotional or may feel like we're, you know, I don't know, getting lost in our memories. Like the moon is out of bounds today and it started yesterday. And I got, I got a package in the mail with a, a bunch of photographs from my great aunt that were like family heirlooms. So it's just like diving into like family memories, right? With, with moon out of bounds on some yeah. level. But with, mm. but Mars, Mars, Venus, Mercury, and the moon are all going to be out of bounds at the same time at that full moon on December 7th or 8th, if you're in Australia. So uh, <laughs> that period it's gonna of time. It's going to be pretty is, wild. It's, it's like an unruly be, frat well, party or something. Well, and I, wanted to, I wanted to say too, we're in America, we're, we're going to be coming off of the midterm elections Yes, and people are going to be in their feelings about that. I think that you see, you know, she was pointing out, we had a morning star phase of Mars leading up to that election and then things start shifting, right? So we're having people being actively aggressive, expressing their opinions, right? With Mars and Gemini and morning star phase. And then when that, that, November, what is it? November 3rd, November 8th. I don't know what the, the actual date is uh, for the election itself. Then, then there's the fallout and then there's, you know, people are going to be reacting to, to whatever happens. And I don't know if this is how, what the um, correlative, correlative uh, event would be globally for other communities and, and countries, but we may see that uh, in other circumstances as well. This is just, I'm speaking strictly from a uh, North American centric perspective here today. I try to be global, but I know that that's going to be on a lot of people's minds here in the States. Mm, I think it will be a highly um, 
a time of instability for sure. I mean, uh, with all these planets with their own agendas, mm-hmm. yeah, it's there's going to be uh, lots of um, self righteousness, I guess. People, yeah. you know, wanting to act in their own autonomy, um, thinking they're doing the greater good, but everyone's got their own opinions on what that greater good is. Everyone's the hero of their own story. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I made that noise I just made. I, I didn't mean to make it. I was like, ah, oh, I looked at the midterm <laughs> elections and it's November 8th, which is oh. our total lunar eclipse. Well, there you go. Mars. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> uh, just after Mars stations retrograde. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> just guttural noises. Oh, I feel it coming. Yeah. Election seasons are stressful in America. Yeah, They've they already it. are. They've gotten even more so in the last few years in particular, where you wonder if every election that happens is going to be the last. I mean, I'm grateful that we still have them, but we have, we're at a point in our democracy here where it's under threat, you know, so it's, it's, it is important. And it's something that people are going to have a lot of strong opinions on one way or the other. And they'll let you know about it for yeah. many months leading up to it. And it's divisive too. That's the other thing. People's mm-hmm. opinions become divisive at election season because they're trying to, to win their ideological battles, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the blustering gets much louder. It always stresses me out. I'm a Venus and Gemini person and I like to try to harmonize people's viewpoints and, and alternative perspectives and dualities. And election season is always something where I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> just make it up, please. Where right. I'm the Mars and Gemini, and I'm like, let me play devil's advocate. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'm like, I might not even believe in that opinion, but let me tell you the other side just to see sure. if I can stimulate your viewpoint. Um, so, yeah, we already can, I don't need to tell anybody listening that we can already see where yeah. Mars in Gemini retrograde is going to play a role here so um just Mm. keep in mind it could get a little unruly with those out of bounds placements going on um so who's going to be affected here like i obviously the mutable signs you know gemini virgo sag pisces there i was about to say on the chopping block i don't i didn't mean that but (laughs) but just a mars term um but yeah if you have those mutable placements if you uh are if mars is your time lord you got mars as your time lord definitely pay attention there a mars ruled people like myself with the scorpio rising aries rising and and those mutable rising signs too i think are going to feel it whenever you have a planet in an angular house it's going to affect you personally um, whereas if you had it, say, in a cadent or a succedent house that was near the angles, the angles being house one, ten, seven, and four, right? Um, but if you had a house adjacent, it might happen to someone close to you, but not necessarily always to you personally. So if you're Gemini, um, Gemini, Virgo, Pisces, and Sagittarius rising, you know you're going to have it in in a in a place that is going to directly affect you. And of Mm. course, people that have planets in those mutable signs as well are going to feel it either by conjunction, opposition, square, et cetera. But yes. I I would be keeping my eye also on the Scorpio house Um, because of the eclipse and Mars ruling that eclipse. uh, I just think there's, I noticed when we did the Venus retrograde um, stuff, I had an inkling of, you know, that Taurus house being, 
going to be very, you know, highly impacted for the Venus retrograde. And it, it turned out to be that was the case. So I'm I'm kind of applying that same observation yeah. here to be, yeah, keeping an eye on wherever your Scorpio house is for everyone. Like that's going to be undergoing some pretty, um, like some instability, um, uh, yeah, or whatever we just spoke about just then, like all that will be playing out in that Scorpio house. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff playing out in Scorpio house here with those eclipses coming. I'm like, this Scorpio <laughs> Sorry, rising Mel. is about to go hide and <laughs> down a hole. I'm like, Mars and Gemini, Scorpio rising. I'm like, ah. Well, we're we're all fixed risings here, aren't we? So we're all going to be Our, getting some, yeah, some house is going to be getting, getting, getting somewhere. <laughs> well, we're we all shaking have, our head like, you know, no. we, we've already been dealing with Saturn oh, on it, so it's yeah, like totally. It's like universe. What 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 you got? What you got left? Come on, yeah. I'm a pro by now. It's I been don't, a crazy. Don't say that too been, loud. <laughs> it's been a crazy past few years for the fixed risings. I mean, the, there's been yeah. a lot of action eclipse wise. And, you know, having Saturn there and, and the Saturn-Mars squares, all of these things fixed, you know, be, be extra kind to your fixed rising friends and family because uh, they've been going through the the shit yeah, <laughs> for the last few yeah. years. It's like the mutables. It's like, oh, man, again, but they're like, yeah. okay, well, I'll adapt. Fixed is like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, yeah. this is, this is very foreign. I'm, oh my God, <laughs> I'm breaking down. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And it, it takes time. It takes time for fixed energy to work through things um, that are big shifts. So be kind to us. We just need a little love. Um, yeah. So that being said, let's get into some of these myths. Some of the we have a, a couple to kind of touch on. Um, anybody want to start with a particular myth that could carry us through some of the things we just talked about? Or, well, I think the the one that really is the standout myth to me is that hero's journey because you know being that kind of uh, well for those who that you know, if you don't know about the hero's journey, this is Joseph Campbell's um, myth, which is somehow termed um, the monomyth because he essentially has studied a lot of stories and myths from around the world. And I think he even tried his hand at some fictional writing at one stage and he essentially came up with a formula of how all stories kind of go goes like in this particular order he's kind of broken it down and I know this hero's journey myth has been used in um, by script writers and people that are in drama because it really does work in in this kind of formula of a story it's essentially a journey that one goes through to find their bliss you know that's the whole point and you go through a big ordeal you know you go you know you start in the ordinary world you know you you cross the threshold you know start to confront the dragon head into this big ordeal you come out the other end you know with some kind of success but then there's this always this kind of uh, just before you think the movie's ended, there's something that comes back up. You know, this is this last, you know, hurrah of like the enemy coming back to try and, you know, to get you. Uh, and then you overcome that and then you somehow turn this all into a, a greater service for for everyone else. So that's essentially this the, this pattern that you see prevalent in lots of movies and our whole lives, you know. Um, and so you know, this myth also really can 
you know, we see this pattern in, you know, Jason and the Argonauts and even Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, everything has this kind of template. So it seems like a very universal story of Mars and the Mars synodic cycle, what Mars goes through every time it starts a whole new cycle with the sun. You know, that's one yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. We can see it on the We're screen. We're just sharing now. a little uh, a thing that I found on Wikipedia that shows the hero's journey in a in a circle, and I thought it spoke to what you're about to speak to, Shu. With yeah, cycle. so I mean, in terms of this Mars retrograde, what we need to consider is that where did this journey begin? Well, this journey began in October last year when Mars made the conjunction with the sun and started off the ordinary world, started off the seed of this whole entire cycle. Um, And I remember listening to yours and Spencer's podcasts around uh, this full, uh, was it a full moon? It was a new moon, I think. Uh, I think we did the new moon in Libra. Yeah. Yeah. And that was quite an intense new moon because Mars started off its journey in detriment. you know, obviously combust, you know, with the sun, uh, with the two lights. Um, and so so the the Mars retrograde uh, section that we're going through right now uh, is essentially the going into the abyss of whatever that was started back then in October. So if you can think back to what happened around October the 8th, I think. Oh, 20, yeah, I have got a chart up here that would have a significant um, correlation to what it is you're trying to um, face now, what dragons are coming up around those themes. So if you check your Libra house, you know, it would have something to do around that. And uh, just from memory, I think the decans that was it was in, I think 13 degrees of Libra, had something to do with like contracts or... Um, yeah. yeah, oaths and contracts, the three of swords. Um, mm. And that that was one where, it, that's a Saturn rule, Deccan, where you're bound to some kind of uh, agreement. Um, it was fairly close to that fixed star Algarab, which is sort of about getting distracted by earthly delights away from some sort of divine task that you had uh, as well. Um, that was a, mm. That was a pretty nasty conjunction it a, there it's both yeah. of those planets are not happy in that space that's exactly true. so that was the ordinary world we found ourselves in back in october you know around the topics of your libra house and so now the task is to step into the unknown um away from that situation in order to find your own autonomy yeah, because we just went through the Sun-Mars square, I mean, uh, days ago on the 26th of August. So mm-hmm. um, as, as she termed crossing the threshold from the, <laughs> from the hero's journey um, cycle. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I do feel like I've crossed some thresholds. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning of a big adventure. <laughs> yeah, the beginning yeah. of the big adventure. Yeah, and there's this element of like stepping into something that you don't know what you're getting into, um, and and that speaks to that retrograde, right? You know, you're going into the underworld. So, uh, yeah, there's it's calling on our, you know, our 
courage a lot, our bravery to to do that. And what, yeah, like I said, what Joseph Campbell says, that once you get to that place, if you do see a path, then that's not where you're meant to be because it's been done before. This is meant to be about your autonomy, your sovereignty, you know, creating something that's uniquely you that you can later on offer to the world. Oh, I feel that so hard right now. And, and so here's the thing that there's the freedom in not knowing and the uncertainty right now. You know, a lot of people don't do well, especially if you have Gemini placements, you don't do well with uncertainty. <laughs> You're and not like, knowing. I, they want I to know everything. Know. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, because part of it is we're going to, Mars is basically in a station squaring Neptune, right? So this is part of that journey too. And so we have to kind of like ease into it. And I think this is a, a, a great point of it right now because we're in the new moon in Virgo cycle, right? And the new moon in Virgo cycle was seated in the sun Mars square. So here we are at this juncture point, right? Of crossing the threshold that we get a whole lunar cycle to kind of feel into um, and realize that things are shifting and we have to adapt to it, but we just might not know still. And, and that's okay. And, and Jupiter's part of that story right now too. Jupiter's, you know, moving through retrograde through Aries, which is a Mars house. Yeah. And trying to, we're trying to expand that autonomy. We're trying to, you know, create actions, you know, that will bring us honor and merit that are of our own volition rather than related to, you know, maybe either the support of someone else or, you know, relying on someone else for that help. As we record this, we've gone through that Mercury Jupiter opposition where there's situations in our life where we've kind of had to reconcile you know, being in partnership versus our own sovereignty and autonomy. And, mm. you know, and something else I wanted to point out, like you were talking about the un, the stepping into the unknown and the ambiguity. I think, you know, the, the other myth that we had written down to, to discuss is um, related to the 12th house and the Thema Mundi. And this is something that I've, I really have found a lot of uh, light bulb moments through studying that, that, you know, philosophical natal chart of the world. And that's the, the myth of Ur. Um, and Gemini on the 12th house cusp in the Thema Mundi with a Cancer rising is that time before birth. The 12th house is the house that was on the ascendant, like right before the, the, the house that's on there, the first house. It's the pregnant pause before incarnation. And that myth of her just very briefly just talks about a soldier that has died, but re retains his consciousness and he gets to see people choosing lots before birth. And a lot, I think a lot of the anxiety of Gemini is through the understanding of all the different options, lots, fortunes, lives that you could lead and the advantages and disadvantages of all of them. And, you know, we look at the Deccans, there's like a paralysis in this first, you know, eight of swords card, right? Um, where we're, we have the proliferation of options. But really, I think the journey of Gemini is, is choosing. It, it is an exploration to be able to finally make a choice. I think that one of the mistakes that people make with Gemini is that they have to feel like that they have to keep every path open. And I don't think that that's actually the, the function of the sign. I think it's exploration to eventually choose something that's most important to you. And I know there, there's some Geminis out there that'll argue with me about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that, uh, you know, I mean, and that, that also reminds me too of the other major themes with Gemini is, is twins. 
And so there's many myths that talk about twins, Castor and Pollux, Romulus and Remus, uh, Cain and Abel. We could go on and on down the list, but this is something that I uh, learned from Liz Green um, about the projection of the shadow onto the other. And can I read a quote from her book? Sure. So this is the astrology of fate from Liz Green. And this is, she talks about the daimon or spirit of each sign. And here's her quote for Gemini. She says, it would seem that the daimon which presides over Gemini brings the individual into inevitable conflict with the dark opposite. Frequently, it is experienced through another, most often in the sibling relationship where one brother or sister is the good one the parents love, the other is the bad one who carries the projection of the shadow for the family. In these exteriorized situations, it is much more difficult to discover the enemy within and the warring opposites, which must ultimately meet at the center. Mm. So uh, there is a, yeah, she's great. Uh, She's one of my favorite just thinkers, you know, and I think that that's one of the dangers with Mars and Gemini is that we can externalize an inner conflict onto some other where, Mm. where we are, what we're really trying to do is harmonize and unify something within ourselves. And part of that hero's journey that she was alluding to is coming into to wholeness in, in internally. And the, the real danger that we have is creating those conflicts by saying, no, my conflict is because of you and pointing the finger and casting aspersions outside of yourself and externalizing that rather than integrating that shadow energy. Mm, or severing. Right. Or, or severing that which is, uh, you know, severing that conflict away from you as opposed sure. to projecting it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I resonate with that just from my internal experience <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a Mars and Gemini native, because I do, I will find myself catching myself with that where the issue or the irritation or the problem is always outside of me in right. the other person, a lot of times with the partner, et cetera. And of course, I've, I've gained enough age at this point um, and <laughs> detachment, I suppose, to catch the pattern, catch the cycle, to maybe indulge it for a second, but then to come back and be like, no, you know, this is a lot. It's just dealing my own stuff here. <laughs> um, but, it, but it is true. It's easy, to, especially mentally, right? Because we're talking about a very... I mean, anybody who has Mars in an air sign can probably uh, speak to the fact where a lot of aggression or anger or irritation ends up in the mental space. Um, and even your pattern of doing, it's all, it all happens in the mind. You don't get anything done because it, you've, already, you've already expended your energy in your head. Um, but it, it's true. It, it turns into, sometimes the battle isn't even outside necessarily. It's just like a warring faction within your head that creates this, you know, you ever get into someone cuts you off into the, uh, you know, on the freeway or something. And then all of a sudden you're in a fight with them for like 30 minutes later in your head. And you just wasted 30 <laughs> minutes of your time having this, like, you know, could have been imaginary. Uh, fight. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, and so I don't know if any of you, uh, any of you other Mars and Gemini's out there can <laughs> join me on this bandwagon, but it, it's, it's true. Um, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help anything. It just, it's just decisive or, or it's divisive within the self is all, all it's doing. I wonder whether that's going to be more 
prevalent with the Mars square Neptune, which will happen three times across that retrograde cycle. Mm. You know, these imaginary conflicts that we have in our head or mm. um, um, the lack of clarity and perception around what a true conflict is and what's not quite an issue, like blowing things out of proportion. There's a there's a few kind of uh, warning signs, you know, in this retrograde. Like it does like make a lot of aspects to a lot of different planets while it's in retrograde. So there's going to be, you know, as suggested by the nature of Gemini, there's it's going to be very eventful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so we're we're gonna have that Neptune action, uh, and that that's what's really interesting about the whole. Um, Neptune piece. I'm just going to share my screen again here. If you're watching the video, we're looking at some charts. Um, but Mars is going to station uh, retrograde on the 30th of October, but it's going to do so basically within the square to Neptune. So October 11th is going to have uh, the exact Mars Neptune square. October 30th, it stations retrograde. And then we have our next Neptune square, November 19th. So that whole eclipse period, essentially mm. Mars is just slow and stationed in a square to Neptune. And so everything we just talked about, you know, in relation to the invisible enemy or the not mm. quite seeing, you know. Sharks. <laughs> mm. yeah. that, that might actually help subdue, externally subdue the, the effects of Mars, you know, considering mm. the... Um, the, the is it the solar eclipse as well you know with the south node it is very much a time of coming within uh and i would suggest that that's what we all try to do on that solar eclipse um so it, it, we could potentially just see more of a broody nature of mars in that little shadowy period there um, than an externalized um, form of it because that mars neptune square i often find is very tiring and demotivating yes yeah. So hopefully that pulls back a little bit of fire and just dampens it out a little bit. You know, probably not great for us, our emotional um, inner life, but if we can have some strategies to cope with it, then we might ride through that, you know, with some level of bliss if we can find it. <laughs> and I think it's a, really important to be careful with substances around this period of time too, because yes. you know, Neptune is associated with toxicity and poisonings on some level and Mars with accidents. So there's mm -hmm. a heightened uh, possibility for accidental like overdoses of like toxic waste dumps or something like that or spills yeah. or something of that nature. Um, or so, even infections, you know, sure. our vitality mm -hmm. and our blood is being opened up, you know, has no boundaries. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we could be, you know, yeah, Immunity would be a really great thing to work on for that for that period of time. Yeah, um, I also think about just uh, the nature. I and the, I, I'm seeing a lot of people having ca car accident issues lately in the news and personal life and things along those lines. So just when we think about traveling and you know, because Gemini is on the move, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, Neptune. Mm -hmm can yeah or water sea accidents yeah, that exactly. kind of thing yeah so i think you but, always have to look at what what the planet is providing for mars wherever it's in and what topics 
something like Mercury would be providing in Gemini for Mars. Like another story I saw recently, I had a friend in Egypt who had a, uh, an Amazon delivery person start like a brawl with the security of their building because they were, they rejected a package and it turned into this melee. So this, like, this like battle, this war with a delivery person, which is a signification of, of Hermes or Mercury in commerce. And I was like, wow, that's, and it happened literally the day after Mars, uh, ingressed into Gemini. And I was like, wow, that's pretty literal right there. So, you know, what kind of topics are, are you going to find become points of contention and conflict, right? Well, for that um, particular instance on November 19th, when Mars squares Neptune for the second time, um, Mercury is going to be in its detriment and Sag. Yeah. So it's probably not going to be great matter that it's passing on. Um, Mis gross misjudgments, perhaps um, <clears throat> self righteousness, or just not seeing the bigger picture um, in something. So, yeah, some tumultuous times coming up. I think. Yeah, that's something yeah. I've been asking myself: is what What are the tools that Mercury is going to give Mars? And I, I I wrote like a little brainstormy list. To me, it's mm -hmm. commerce, exchanges, words. Um, alternatives <laughs> like that could be a battle over Plenty alternatives, alternatives. <laughs> uh, questions siblings contradictions dishonest agility that to me is something that's related to mercury which you could talk about as lies so on like trying to be honest through this period of time is really important or that could dishonesty could cre create conflict i also see mercury or hermes as a trickster so trying to it wouldn't be a great time to play a what you think is a practical joke on somebody because it could blow up into something, <laughs> a, a huge misunderstanding potentially. <laughs> I think that that's another thing to consider. Mm. Um, and Shu, I, I might get your thought on this because this is something that just like came into my mind when I was brainstorming too. Invisibility related to Hermes. Like, is mm. that a way to fight? Is maybe ghosting someone, right? Yeah. Where, you know, because Hermes well, likes to disappear. Yeah, interesting point, um, Spencer, because I did have in my notes um, about the art of war being mm. a very Mars-Mercury kind of um, text to to study. And uh, just one of these quotes that I, I got from, uh, and let me just try and find it, um, it's that, um, you know, it's more important to outthink your enemy than to outfight them. And that all warfare is based on deception. So you're mm -hmm. you're trying to essentially pretend to be weaker than what you are, so that it invokes like a sense of complacency in the enemy, uh, mm -hmm. and then you would attack. So that's very much echoing what you're saying here with that invisibility um, mm -hmm. factor. And in fact, you know the Viet Cong again in the Vietnam Army, you know, against the U.S. Army back in the seventies, sixties, seventies. They very much employed those out of war kind of tactics. You know, they were outthinking the U.S. Army uh, by by using very alternative. Again, one of your keywords: alternative mm -hmm. war strategies. You know, because the U.S. Army were much stronger than them, but they they went and built underground networks and booby traps and 
you know, these hit and run tactics, you know, and they essentially won the war in the end. So, so yeah, I, I think that Hermes' influence to Mars can can be a, a bit of a um, can be a troublemaker, but a very sneaky one. You know yeah. that trickster quality. Absolutely, I agree. Mm. It may, it makes me think too with the um, something that I read when I was uh, I went into the art of war, like looking at that more in relation to Mars Neptune square. Mm. Um, because it said it talked about the variation of tactics, um, and having to focus the need of, you know, for flexibility in your response, because how you respond to shifting circumstances, you know, can you do that successfully? And that's what I think about with Mercury. That's what I think about Gemini is there's flexibility, there's adaptability. And with Mars squaring uh, Neptune for such a long period of time and during the station, I mean, one of the things I ex- experienced when uh, Neptune had squared my Mars natally is that anything I tried to do just fell apart. Yeah. There, mm. it could, there was no traction. It was like grasping into thin air or having sandcastles just get washed away from the sand. And that makes me think it's like, if something that we're trying to do or move towards is all of a sudden, you know, reaches some sort of diffusion point or just disappears entirely, like we have to be successful at adapting and being flexible with the situation and, um, or having healthy doubt within something that we're working towards, but it's not looking quite like it pans at, you know, like maybe we're in this doubt stage that we still have to work towards. Um, so that was kind of the thing that came up in my mind of like mercurial moves is just being able to be flexible with our movements when they mm. might not be going as planned. Do you think as musicians, like a Mars, Neptune kind of transit might be helpful? Do you think, or, or for the creative part? To, for I'm, me, when I was I'm, a musician, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge. Everything. <laughs> I'm gonna be like the Neptune bummer because <laughs> I just like, I guess my my carnal experience of Neptune is just dis- dissolving. You know, to me, that is that is the function of that in the physical realm. And as a person that has a lot of Earth planets, I just feel like a puddle of mud on the floor. Now, mm-hmm. there are arguments to be made that there is a purpose for that, and that purpose is to transcend the physical. So I think that one of the things that we might be able to do to do Mars, Neptune, Square more, I don't know, effectively, I guess you could call it. This is my Mars and Virgo talking right now. <laughs> it's like, so I'm the other mercurial Mars here. Mickey, I know. Uh, it's too Mars. But, but uh, I think that, um, you know, being able to accept the fact that some of your material ambitions may not be able to move forward in, the, in a direct fashion and come into alignment with flow with like a flow state, with mm-hmm. the, the currents of your life. And transcendence is a word that gets thrown around a lot with, with Neptune. And I, I think in this case, it might be appropriate is your actions are going to ma- maybe need to have meaning rather than uh, necessarily force, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because I d- definitely feel the effects of Neptune as being very overwhelming yeah. um, to a point where, yeah, it's just impossible to get anything done. And um, 
that's going to be very frustrating for a Mars retrograde who is also already frustrated to the core. So, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm just wondering how to navigate that because it's almost like, should we just sit and meditate all, you know? I mean, mean, that's that's one actual good remediation for this aspect, I think, is that quieting your mind and coming into alignment with divine substance, I think is important to me, Neptune. I always think of the Robert Schmidt calling Neptune a transcendental moon and it being like the one thing versus like, in his opinion, Uranus was a transcendental sun, which was the one mind. So how can we come into alignment with universal substance? A lot of it is through quieting the mind. Uh, Mars in this decan of, of Gemini, the third decan, when this first square happens, is really about having too many thoughts. And a way a remediation for that is to quiet that monkey mind down, come into alignment with like source on some level and Mm. quiet the chatter down, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like um, you're better off living in the quantum Mm. for those months than than in the physical. Yeah. Although I will say Saturn is helping in this particular arrangement, right? Mm. There's an overcoming uh, trine from Saturn. Yeah, and uh, And that is what bookends Mars within the Neptune energy is it is, it has the trine to Saturn and then goes into Neptune territory and then reconnects with Saturn again. So it's almost Mm. like we have this form, we have this kind of striving, right? You know, put Mars and Saturn together, and we're working towards something, you know, we're building structure, we have plans, we have ideas, Um, but maybe they're on hold for whatever reason, or we have to, or we enter a liminal space, you know, we are talking about mutable signs here, uh, where we're in these two worlds, where we got one foot in this world, we got one foot in the other world, and we're still navigating, you know, how do we get there, to liken to what she was talking about earlier, about kind of being in this, you know, uncertainty space, that's part of, the process of, of this all. And so we, I think mm. it's just about permission to allow yourself to be there and not try to push past it. Cause if you push that's past right. it, that's where the frustration is. But if you ease into it and realize, you know what, this is a time in my life where I do actually get to maybe sit back for a, a second or take time to feel things out or to envision and and play with the dream state, you know, like um, imagineering what life is to be rather than being like, I have to do, I have to go move forward. Let Mm -hmm. that go, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. good old Neptune term, let it go. And you'll find that maybe you're actually catching up with rest that you actually needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that we're not meant to find a path there because otherwise we'd be in the wrong place. Exactly. You know, there's one other one other thing I'd like to point out about this uh, particular arrangement before we move forward is that there's a story in the tarot with the air sign cards, the the suit of swords that talks about an an argument, and the ten of swords, which is related to that last ten degrees of Gemini that we're going to see here, is sort of where we get an all or nothing ultimatum at the end of an argument. And I think when when Mars goes retrograde in that decan, we may have to reconsider an all or nothing ultimatum that we may have made that was maybe an intellectual uh, conflict that we had with somebody. And, you know, maybe 
cooler heads prevail with Saturn potentially. But then the, the meeting of Mars with Neptune is maybe dissolving the types of intellectual divides that we have through dissolving the boundaries and finding a, a spiritual unity potentially between us. So to, to me, I think that there's, there's a, a great potential right now for estrangement and because of having a different point of view. And I think that it's going to be a, a lot of this Mars retrograde cycle is, is going to be reconsidering this like line in the sand that we've drawn because of a difference of opinion. Mm. And which decan was that? The third decan? That's, of- yeah, that's the third decan of uh, Gemini, where we see the card ruin with like someone with 10 swords <laughs> stuck in their back. And, you know, T. Susan Chang talks about this, uh, this, um, this uh, order of those cards where she says the eight re- represents frustration. And then we move to anxiety in the nine of swords. And then we have the collapse. We can't carry all of these thoughts. We can't carry this argument. This is the logical conclusion to an argument as one party is defeated. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a solar ruled deck in, in the third decan of Gemini where, where our thoughts become very black and white, right? where the sun is, is creating contrast. And it says, this is, this is truth. This isn't. And, and we, there's a daimon associated with that decan called Praxodike, which is the executor of justice. So it, it, I think it's important to be very careful not to potentially make that divide because you're going to have to back off it at some point. And that could be very demoralizing if you have to back up off of your like very egotistical line in the sand that will mm. separate you from others. So um, mm. So maybe th- we could use the Neptune to help us dissolve the yeah, ego. Like exactly. that would be a good use of that to consciously yes. like not dissolve ego so that we we don't. And, and this may have something to do to that October 8th start of the synodic cycle for Mars, mm. you know, like something because we're essentially going into something that is uh, the abyss of that situation. Sure. So I, I love this thinking about it because, you know, with squares, we, uh, especially if there's retrograde, we're going to experience three passes, right? So Mars is going to meet Neptune three times. And of course, it just happens to be sandwiched around the retrograde. <laughs> and when we're having a, you know, election uh, season here in the U.S., and sometimes it takes time to learn these friction and lessons. And I just, it's going to take a long time because the last pass is going to be on March 14th of 2023. Um, Mm. But I find it very interesting that it just happens at the same time that the sun is making a conjunction with Neptune. So when you were speaking, Spencer, to the idea (laughs) of like the ego, you know, the dissolving of the ego in some way, like that lesson could take quite some time to get to, but there does seem to be on the other end of it, many months later, (laughs) um, some sort of resolve there or dissolve, I guess we could say. No, that's beautiful because the coming together of the sun in any planet brings clarity to that situation and shines a light on it. So having the sun become a part of it is is saying, hey, here's an awareness moment for you. Here is, here is a light to be able to understand and bring clarity to that situation. And, and you know, when the sun comes together with Neptune, sometimes that clarity is <laughs> easy but but uh but yes i do think that is a pivotal moment uh for 
coming into alignment with, I don't know, maybe a more humble expression uh, that maybe we've learned the lesson of humility and modesty after this experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least we'll shine a light on the uncertainty, right? If we sure. were in the fog for the whole time, now we get <laughs> we get that. Um, I do want to talk more about the uh, the tarot action because we've kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um, but when you were speaking earlier, uh, Spencer, about the myth of Ur, uh, mm-hmm. and you're talking about the choosing of lots, um, one of the things that I was reading in that myth about how he was standing there watching people choose is what he noticed was that many people preferred a life that was different from what their previous experience was. Right. And to me, that speaks a lot of, I mean, the card of the Trump card of Gemini is the lovers. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, you hear once again, we're at the two, the two paths. um, And usually we don't necessarily want to walk down the one that we are familiar with, or we know we might, are tempted to go that way because that we know it's comfortable, but something else is calling to us. Um, and so to play on the theme that we've already kind of brought up here of like leaving something that we know behind in order to open this new chapter, this, that part of that, um, myth and the lover's card to me, along with the tower of Mars seem to play into it. Uh, that I think, I think the lover's, represents an ethical or moral quandary on some level. And, you know, what you're alluding to in the myth of Ur, I, I think of Ur or the soldier, whoever it is, is, is uh, witnessing other people choosing lots who have not had an earthly life before or, or have had an earthly life that was easy. And some of those people chose lives that were oppressive to others. There's one that decided to become a dictator and eventually he had to like eat his own pets or something like that. There was something crazy in that myth where he had to like consume something and that because of his choices. So I I think it's, there's an awareness there of having had experience choosing compassion rather than choosing to dominate others. And I think that we should, with this cycle, I think it's important if we're going to bring in the myth of Erd, is when we're faced with an ethical or moral quandary, because, I mean, if we just even just touch on the fixed stars, Mars is going to uh, retrograde or, or go direct, which whereas go direct around that fixed star Aldebaran, which is mm-hmm. all about having integrity. Yeah. It's all about, you know, having some kind of moral code that you're living your life by. So there's going to be choices where we could choose uh, chaos, we could choose evil, we could choose to dominate others. And remember, there is some moral ambiguity in Gemini already baked into it because of Hermes' influence. Yeah. So, so I think that we're going to be tested. I think our ethics are going to be tested during this Mars retrograde. And, and maybe we can choose a lot that is more um, thinking about the effects of our actions and and without putting others at a disadvantage. And I think that's really the, the lesson that, that Plato was trying to, to, to teach with that myth. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I found it so interesting. Um, I saw some, like, strong Mars correlations with the myth too in terms of, like, you know, the, the concept of reincarnation and the different types of animals that would come back to that one would come back to that um, 
Was it the those that were um, good, obviously, went to heaven, those that were bad went to Tatarus, and the middling, you know, of all the different types of middling people, those that were dominant people would come back as, say, wolves or birds of prey, whereas the ones that were actually quite nice people would come back as bees and ants, you know, because they're more likely to get along with people. And just that whole discussion around the different types of animals I thought was very much like Amar's joy in the six, you know, like Mars being a, a natural significator for beasts and animals and um, the sixth house being, you know, of work and service, you know, those that weren't weren't good, you know, came back as donkeys so that they could, you know, um, have a life of enslavement and things like that. So I thought that was, yeah, that was a really good choice of myth there, I thought, um, like on many different levels for, for Mars. It's good advice. Don't don't be an ass and you won't come back as one. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> as simple as that. Um, yeah. Well, which is so interesting when we think about the, uh, the three decans of where Mars is going to be. You know, these are some of the most difficult decans as far yeah. as like minors are concerned. Like you said, the eight of swords, really the rough of swords, the ten of swords. It is rough territory. Yeah. Uh, it's good territory to be an ass, that's for sure. sure. Uh, to be to yourself, to other people. Um, and but it had me thinking, uh, because we start out like you stated in the in the Ten of Swords uh area where this is like ruin and finality mm. of some sort um also drama in a sense or maybe martyrdom you know yeah. as we talked about the neptune uh part of it but it's also a like it can be a death of an old way of thinking yeah. or an old way of being in some way you know because a lot of times this card can get the idea of there's because it's over there's renewed hope you know but that might yeah. be on the other side of it the, right because that's the dawn right that's yeah coming that's, after the the dusk there that's the Ooh. exactly and what i was thinking about because it is such an interesting threshold to go from the ten of swords to cancer which is the two mm. of cups and to go from yeah. you know the lovers and the card of choice to the chariot which is the determination of will and so here we're going back and forth through all this choice. What's over? What's done with? What uh, old ways of thinking need to go? What do I need to make peace with because that's done and I'm not letting it go? Where do I have anxiety? Where am I thinking about things negatively or in worst case scenario? So, you know, like maybe I have, you know, especially the nine of swords, which is Mars and Gemini's uh, Deccan is like, you know, you have to face, it's like this person is waking up at night because maybe they need to face their own demons <laughs> you know you need to face some unconscious fears that are there or projections yeah. we talked about that earlier coming up yeah. um and we have to cut that out to even get to our own potential because if that holds us back all those projections and those fears and you know the things inside of us that holds it you know the eight of swords that holds us back or creates obstacles or creates distraction so we haven't really talked about distraction mm -hmm. at all. And that is Gemini, at least this Mars and Gemini, to a T. It's easy to get distracted about things that don't matter to what the goal actually is or distracted in a way that diffuses your energy and, and holds you up. Well, um, but this is just some we, things I was Where we are about. our own worst enemy too, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, that if you, th this is something that I think, that's why I really love that Thema Mundi as a teaching tool for astrological signs and for houses, 
is, you know, if you, if you correlate Gemini with the 12th house, that was said to be the house of self undoing. And some of it is through the mind, through like narratives that are holding us back rather than physical events like the sixth house, where it would be, that's, that is what stops us from completion. All right. The sixth house is what pulls us away from the seventh house of completion. Whereas the 12th house is pull is the cadent house that is pulling us away from our sense of empowerment and our sense of self. So you've, you've got this like, and what can bring you away from your sense of self is too many thoughts, too much self-criticism, too many options, like too many things you could be like too many, uh, you know, paradoxes. <laughs> so I think that we really have to be careful not to overthink this cycle and not yes. to like let our internal dialogue be turned against us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is that's, that's the, what I notice with Gemini's the most. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, it is easy to project onto an other, but oftentimes a lot of the times they're beating the hell out of themselves internally. And that's, yeah, that's what I've you actually want to known. I've actually known like the most depressed people that have suffered from depression, you know, in a big way. A lot of them have been Gemini's, mm -hmm. you know, their mind they're so cerebral and their mind has essentially overtaken everything else. So, um, yeah, so totally makes sense with the 12th house association. And I think the modern interpretation of Gemini as superficial is, is incomplete as well. I think that there's actually a lot of quite deep thinkers in the sign of Gemini. Mm. And I, I think that it's just that the thinking is so quickly that it can, it can shift from one thing to another very quickly. But sometimes I've had the most philosophical conversations with people with prominent Gemini placements because they're, they're thinking from that point of almost like the collective unconscious on some level where they're, mm. they're dealing with all the possibilities. And that, that, that takes a lot of brain power to be able to hold all of those things simultaneously. So, yeah, they can't escape the thinking. That's the problem there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be analysis paralysis. <laughs> yeah, that, that's this card. <laughs> that's that, you and know, that's the. But that's where we analysis. emerge, right? right? We start right. out there in the shadow with that, but we yeah. emerge <laughs> with Aldebaran yeah. um, in that in that space. Um, and you know, they always say with the the lady in the Eight of Swords, it's like right. she's not really tied to anything; she's kind of tied to herself. So you know, <laughs> loosen, loosen that. Loosen those ties. Let yourself free. Don't overthink it. You know, um, I'm yeah. talking to myself right now, but I had a I had a long term partner. We actually had, ironically enough, we had um, Mars and Gemini conjunct, and so that was <laughs> that. It, it also is a Gemini rising, and I can't tell you how much it, being in his head really paralyzed him yeah. to get anything done or to make choices. Yeah. Right. Because it's going back in the option. And if it, if those options include um, it, the entertainment of insecurity, mm. nothing would ever happen because it wasn't safe or, you know what I mean? Like it's it, it, or just always questioning or what do you think about this? Should I do this, this or always having like enemies? The very 12th house thing, too. Sure. You know, Secret thinking that other yeah. things are coming out to get you. Um, yeah. But really, it's all in your own head. 
And I, yeah. I think that the, the Gemini exploration of thought is not only possibilities, but also fears. And I think yeah. that that's, you know, that's the, that's the shadow side of the light, the light twin, maybe the, the optimism and the, and the possibilities that that's why sometimes people accuse people with Gemini placements to have this kind of manic type of energy that can swing very wildly from one extreme to the next, because you do have that, that, uh, optimism, but then it swings to that dark depression very easily through fears and through anxiety. So that's something to watch out for with this too, is wide, wide swings of emotion and thought, um, mm -hmm. that can be very uh, d debilitating on some level and can, I don't know, I have Venus and Gemini and making a choice it's squaring all my Virgo stuff. So there's always like this, like expansion versus like consolidation of choice. And I remember when I was young, I would spend hours just staring at the ceiling, like in being paralyzed uh, because I didn't know which direction I had to think everything through to and examine everything with a microscope. And I, I think that on some level, Gemini does that too. They, they mm. examine things gr as granularly as the Virgo type does. Um, but I think it's more like a bee pollinating or, or gathering pollen rather than like trying to encapsulate something in a seed or like discard something. It's, it's, it's more expansive. It's just too much all the time. <laughs> it's hard to make mm. a choice when it's just too much all the time. Yeah, just on the theme of swords, I mean, I heard this morning on the way here that there's been um, a guy on the loose in Canada and he's gone around stabbing people and some people, and again, with there's I think 13 people that have been stabbed so far and he's out on the run at the moment. And they said some of these people have been um you know, he's he's um, specifically gone for them because, you know, for whatever reason, and some other people are just random attacks. So this goes on that choice issue as well. And yeah. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting with Mars in Gemini uh, yeah. and with all these tarot correspondences having to do with the swords, um, that this is what's being activated right now in the uh, in the news. Mars is random too, isn't it? I mean, this is Mars is the planet of random misfortune, especially you know, like, when it's out of bounds. Yeah, yeah, out of bounds. There's really no dignity here whatsoever. I mean, it'll have a little bit kind of when Mercury is in Mar or in Scorpio, but I mean, how much really is that? So there's this like peregrine nature to it too, <laughs> which is a little all over the place and wandering of sorts. Um, so it's it's a it's a little bit of a wild card, you know, with Mars and Gemini. It's like wherever the wind takes you, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, wind with heat, you know, can only, you know, we just want to not add too much fuel to that. Yeah, so, yeah. sounds like the Santa Anas, basically. When they kick up here, they come out of nowhere, and you got this really hot wind with just dust hitting <laughs> you in the face, and it's like. <laughs> and we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing droughts globally right now that are very destructive you know the the dry hot air you know drying up rivers and exposing like old cities basically you know there's there's a challenge right now with uh i mean there's a whole entire city that doesn't have water right now in mississippi i don't know if oh, that's necessarily that. due the due to drought or through some other challenge but uh globally you're seeing 
you know, things dry up and drought. Now, there's a terrible drought in China right now as well. So this is another thing where air becomes destructive, right? Mm. I saw uh, uh, in Texas, there was a, a river that dried up completely that has never really dried up, but they actually found dinosaur tracks in the... Uh, in the riverbed that sort of, I mean, the paleontologists are all excited about it and studying it while they can before the water's back. But it's like, they realize like the, the excitement behind their find is a double-edged sword, pun intended, mm -hmm. because yeah. it's like, oh, well, what does that mean about the climate? And you know, these other bigger problems going on. And so, so yeah. I think we should talk about that more because that's a great point. The double-edgedness of a sword. And how something can be used as a tool to 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 cut away dead wood for so that something else can sprout, or to just be completely destructive. So that's something that where some of the choice can come in here too. Is how are you going to use your sword when we do prayers to Mars? Like there's an Orphic hymn to Mars. You're praying for Mars to turn those weapons of war into plowshares which are basically the weapons of the, or the, the tools of the field, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you turn these ideas and this energy into something productive rather than something that is destructive? Um, and I think that there's remediations around that as well. I, I think it helps to really learn and challenge yourself around the nature of duality, because that's exactly mm -hmm. what the double-edged sword is. It's like, this and that is true. There's two facets to, to just about everything and, um, being able to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's escaping me right now to just like make the most out of a situation to you make know, the most, like, to make peace mm. with that being a thing too, because sometimes people, people have a real hard time with duality or think are realizing that a couple people can be quote unquote, right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's, it's either one way or it's this way. And, you know, there's a lot of gray area uh, here, so I guess. It's a low, there's a lowercase tr truth, uh, lowercase T truth in Gemini rather than a capital T truth in, in Sagittarius, Sag. right? Mm -hmm. So there's relativity of truth when, when we see Gemini. And let's, like you were saying, simultaneous truths can be real for, for multiple people at various times. And you don't necessarily have to make one <laughs> the winner all the time right i think that you know hermes is a is a god of the crossroads he's the god of yes. the dead and the living he's the god of olympus and of the earth uh you know it hermes and or mercury is someone who can travel between worlds and communicate with vast amounts of people so sometimes we may have to adjust and our message and be flexible to be able to, to get the essence of what we're trying to communicate across rather than getting fixated on the form. That's another thing that I think that we could see as conflicts is labeling things and naming mm. things. I think yeah. Gemini is all about putting a, 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 you know, a, a number, a name, a label on something, and then we can fight over that. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things where people fight about what this is called or what it isn't called. And, and, just I'm thinking of like Twitter right now. There's all sorts of a lot of that goes on on Twitter. That's another battleground from Mars. And oh, I'm sure right that now. will be. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, I'm glad I'm not on Twitter because I don't got the energy to stay for out that. of that fray. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the saving graces, you know, just on the 
topic of truth and self-righteousness, you know, I always think of um, Jupiter when, when those words come up, is that for that lunation in Sagittarius when, you know, everything goes down, the saving grace is that Jupiter will be um, just moved back into Pisces. Pisces yeah. So hopefully that will... Um, help that situation a little bit more and to bring some um yeah yeah like the capital t truth to prevail a little bit more out of that lunation yeah grace some grace uh, maybe more and maybe some universality yeah for sure yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's true because i mean jupiter and that is part of the whole eclipse period too because that's about when jupiter moves back into pisces because until then jupiter is under mars domain and so mars is truth what's mars's truth that's jupiter's truth for now and then jupiter's like no no hold on let me get back into pisces i i got the truth just wait just wait (laughs) um and so i I think that is going to be a, a big shift um (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it'll be an interesting one, but uh, that's the beauty of being an astrologer, right? We get to kind of study this thing and wait for it to happen and be like, oh, I get how that works. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. I think as astrologers and as astrology enthusiasts, we can actually learn a lot about many planets this fall, not just with the Mars retrograde cycle, but just the intricacies of all the planets at play. Um, because yeah, it's an, it's an interesting lineup. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the fixed star action. We touched on all Deberon a little bit. Um, but the, the, the star that Mars is going to go retrograde on is Alheca, uh, in, is that the tip of the Southern horn in, in Taurus? And, uh, what do we know about Alheca? Uh, (laughs) Spencer's grimacing. Well, I mean, think of. Think of how martial the horns of the bull are. That's you know, true. They, they're very pointy. They are used for defending the bull's instinctual life force, right? Um, they can gore you. Uh, they're also kind of like symbols of virility as well, right? So I think that this, when we have fixed stars, there's always relationships between either, if we have a pair of stars, and this is related to Al Nath. Um, which is the northern tip of the northern horn. Usually the northern one is slightly more favorable. And this is the southern one, which is slightly less favorable. So, um, you know, accidents, gorings <laughs> could happen. Well, I mean, it's like, you, so, you know, you mess with literal. the bull, you get the horns, right? It, exactly. Like, it, it's like, sometimes don't it's, mess with any bulls. when Well, Mars is definitely. Because, it can, <laughs> because what I've learned about fixed stars and astrology in general is it can be very literal. So mm. just get something getting gored on something like having accidents um, with pointy objects is another kind of thing. But but maybe also getting defensive over our material security as well, because that's, you know, if we bring Taurus into the equation as the constellation, we have like a more earthy vibe. And what a bull does is defends his territory. So there could be some territorialism mm-hmm. that I think could come up uh with with that fixed star as well so that just for the listeners that's the around the 30th of october yeah be be careful of that so no walking cows for me then that day (laughs) no no cows for you and that's like that's 25 degrees of gemini is where the alhaca is yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's interesting because um, some of the things that I was reading about, I think maybe, maybe it was Bernadette Brady's book. She was talking about um, having to maybe deal with difficult situations like decisively and forceful. Like something comes up mm-hmm. and you have to like grab the bull by the horns sort of and sure. like deal with it. Which, you know, when we're talking about we're going to be right in the middle of eclipse season. Uh, and, and, you know, this is Mars stationing. It's, it's Mars is slowing down. It's going to be at the same degree for a very long time. So, um, we just might have to like deal with something that comes up, comes up rather suddenly. And you just gotta, you can't look away. You just gotta drive, drive and handle it. <laughs> Even if it is uh, a little messy or uncomfortable or, what have you. Yeah. I mean, that's the that part of the myth where we're meeting the dragon, you know. Mm. The dragons, um, so to speak, are, you know, they're essentially our friend, but they don't appear oh. to be our friend. Oh, am I okay? We lost you a little bit. Okay. You go. know, dragons, you know, alchemically are essentially um, things <laughs> that come up for us that appear to be very difficult, but they're in effect what we need the most and so we need to learn to tame those dragons and to ride with those dragons you know um as opposed to be subject to that alheca experience of you know Mm. the dragon poking us (laughs) you know and and just to add to that briefly is Jung talks about the battle with the dragon as essential to the individuation of the of the soul or of the individual to separate themselves from the the collective. So sometimes you have dragons or serpents as in, as instinctual forces of the collective unconscious. And how do you individuate and become the mm-hmm. true the true you and the point of consciousness? And you know, mm. doing that at a yeah. bull's horn is interesting. <laughs> yeah, the point yeah, of the bull. It's interesting because mythologically, um, the Chinese view dragons as a um, as a you know a good um, creature, um, but they also yeah there's a slightly different approach that they take you know with with words like um, crisis. Their word for crisis, weiji, is 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 made up of two words, which is danger and changing point, or danger and opportunity. So. There is this idea that the Chinese have of that, you know, what what is imminently, you know, difficult initially can be transformed into an opportunity. And I think that's what we were saying before, that there are these choices and, and it's just our perception as to how we can manage these choices and, and to, to make the most of what comes up. <clears throat> totally. So this is a, yeah period of wagey coming up <clears throat> yeah it, and it's, it's sort of interesting to go back to we've given some lip service to uh the mars retrograde sun opposition on that full moon i'm just going to share that chart again oh um because <laughs> on december 7th because it, it's also uh that just happens to be on the fixed star R- rigel am i saying that right rigel yeah. rigel I think it's Rigel. Yeah, I don't Rigel? know. <laughs> well, you know, that's anybody, how I say anybody, it. Anybody, anybody out there? Um, yeah. Which is the con- in Orion, and it's the left foot. Um, and so, 
it brings up the idea of the educator or the scholar and the desire to learn something or teach something or bring knowledge to others mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. for the sake of forward development, not just for personal gain. It's more of like, how can I bring insight to many rather than just myself? And so I thought this was an interesting, especially in our teacher signs of mm-hmm. Gemini and Sagittarius. It seemed like it is a it is a a gnarly full moon to some extent. I mean, bring Mars and the moon together for anything, and it's like, oh, but a full moon. But it's interesting that it had that connection. Uh, mm, and with, and with Jupiter back in Pisces too. Exactly. So what, what we could say is that no matter what happens, like it will be a great learning experience <laughs> for for everybody. You know. <laughs> yes, you. I think that's brilliant. I have Venus on this degree exactly on Rigel and in the 11th house. And it's to me, the experience of it is it's a drinking from the fire hose type of experience where you just have so many ideas. Uh, and and the, the, the journey for Rigel is Orion, the, the, the hunter stepping foot in the Uridanus, the river that, that eventually ends at Hercules, the constellation Hercules, who is the kneeling one or the, the, the path of humility. So it's the first step to humility is that fixed star. And the sun will be on a fixed star called Ras Algethi, which is, is in Hercules and is all about um, you know, learning through experience and labors and things of that nature. Um, I, I always tell the story briefly, like have, you, have all of you seen the movie UHF? Are you familiar with that? (laughs) With like Weird Al. Weird Al. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so basically Weird Al Al is running a a cable access TV show. And Michael Richards, who plays Cosmo Kramer in Seinfeld, is in that movie. And he has a show, a kid's show, where you have to go find the marble in the oatmeal. And if you find the marble, if this kid finds a marble in the oatmeal, they're like, you found the marble in the oatmeal. You get to drink from the fire hose. And they sit the kid on the hobby horse and like turn on a fire hose and blast him off of the chair. (laughs) So, you know, that, that to me is a little bit of that experience, but it, but it is definitely associated with teaching. I'm nervous about this one because I have a, I just started a, uh, I just started an offering, which is a group guided study class with that's going to have a discord group as well which is a new endeavor for me and this will be the like the last week <laughs> that'll be meeting uh so right in the 11th house so hopefully that runs smoothly um but but yeah i think that there's um a so are you suggesting there. are you Go suggesting ahead. with the that fire hoses analogy that there may be like say too much knowledge or, or too yeah. much information coming your way. Is that what you're? I think so. I think that, I think definitely. Um, I think that the way that it functions in my chart is I will explore so many sources. So if I do like a webinar or something, for example, or prepare for something like this, I'll have like a million notes, right? Yes, I'll you're, drink. You're thorough. <laughs> I'll, I'm thorough. I drink from the fire hose of information almost too much. But it's the square to the to the Virgo planet says, how can you take all that information, distill it down to its essence to pass on as a practical legacy for people? And I think that that's what I do in my practice. But here there's tension between that uh, expansion of options, drinking from the fire hose and having a 
a specific goal, a unification of body and spirit, which we see in the second decan of Sagittarius. So instead of bifurcating all of our attention in a million different directions, which is what the moon and Mars want to do at this full moon, the sun is saying, hey, to achieve something important, you have to unify all of those things and have something that you're aiming for. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I do think it helps a little bit for this full moon with Mercury having moved into Capricorn because, mm-hmm. you know, the the moon Mars combo itself is in a trine to Saturn, which will be under Mercury's rule. So if we do need to sort something out or or piece it or kind of get that Saturn, (laughs) you know, like bring it down a little bit, let's, uh, let's create some form. Let's create some structure here. Let's a less, less is more people. Hmm. Um, maybe, you know, Mercury just getting settled there. It's in its own bounds. So perhaps it could be out of bounds, I guess, uh, in other terms, but, um, maybe that will help a little bit to, you know, remediate some of the, uh, Sag Gemini tension happening. Here's another random Gemini thought, just thinking about how we name things in like a, a, an online group, like discord, like if you name something after like, a, you know, basically like Eris, the goddess of discord, uh, there's probably going to be challenges and arguments, verbal sparring that's going on within those environments. So, you know, I think that think about yeah. how you're labeling something too and what energy and essence it's going to bring. It could also um, be just like when I think about your study group, Spencer yeah. is like, Maybe there's just too many questions coming at you. Maybe. Too much to handle at one time. You know what I mean? It just could be yeah. like everything it comes in or maybe you're like, I explained this before, you know, the retrograde, <laughs> sure. but here I, I have to do this over again. Yeah, um, that's okay. I don't mind it, doing that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like just so much stimulus right. coming right. at you to where it can be a little, you know, anxiety ridden just because you, you're trying to keep up with it at all. Right. Like it might not even be like, you know, something too, that detrimental it just might be just so much that it's hard to handle. Let's, let's run with that. I like that. It sounds <laughs> like know, a much I'm better just, outcome. I'm just trying to put a, like, a little, I love it. Well, a some, it's, it's true though, because sometimes what you put your mind towards, you're going to attract into your experience. I mean, I think that that's, I, I think that the, we've learned that through things like the secret, which is not my favorite expression of that. But I do feel like there is some truth in that, that what we put our attention towards, we are going to see and magnetize more of that, even just from our perspective. I think our perspective is important. You know, I think there are hard truths and and immutable laws of nature and of the universe. But I do think that if we're focusing on the negative, we're going to create more of it. And if we focus on the positive during this period of time, we can also, I think we can have a, a better experience. That's right. What you focus on grows. Yep. So just be, keep that, put that on post it, stick it wherever you look at things and uh, <laughs> just speak just it into existence. Right? Um, so I know we touched a little bit on uh, the stationary degree because when Mars stations direct around uh, January 12th, um, of course, it's going to be hovering. Uh, in this area for, you know, the term uh, actually is um, the first of the month. What is, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, what can we say called New Year's Day here? New so that's stationing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that stationing point, I 
found, I saw that was very interesting because this is around the time when Mars sextiled Jupiter and trined Mercury quite recently, I think last week, Mm -hmm. and that Jupiter-Mercury opposition is happening three times over September and October. And it's just jogged my memory when you were talking about your example, um, Spencer, because it's almost like when we're stationing, we're coming back to that point about learning, around teaching, around mentoring, um, that we're we're revisiting that in some way um, with Mars coming back to that exact point where it where it activated that Jupiter Mercury opposition. Yeah. Review, right? I mean, that's really what we're we may have to review a question, how we're teaching our method, um, you know, being able well, to hold different opinions as well is important mm. when you're a teacher. Seeing things from someone else's perspective again can can bring yeah. grace, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that we're in for a deep dive around this time because on the 29th of December, just during the holidays, actually when Mars is on Aldebaran, which is the, the fixed star, the royal fixed star we're talking about of integrity at all mm-hmm. times. If not, there's mm-hmm. a cost. Well, yeah. another planet that is assigned with integrity is Pluto. And Mercury is going to be stationing retrograde that day on the December 29th just in the middle of our holidays, um, next to Pluto, which in on Venus, uh, which Venus, as we well know, as we did a podcast about it last November, uh, retrograded in the same exact area. So as Mars starts to slow down and it's hitting the, you know, the fixed star of integrity here, our minds and our communication uh, skills and our relationships, right? Because Venus is right there with the whole thing is in pl- Plutonian territory. So I think that, I think there's kind of like, I think Mars goes out with a, a, a big bang in the sense of um, just w- all this processing that we're talking about and the perception and the decisions and everything. Like we hit this point of no return to some extent with the Pluto process. Uh, and then we're taken back into Mercury retrograding while Mars finishes it up in this kind of integrity zone. Mm. Well, that's that's good. You know, I'm I'm glad that it's going to be, um, you know, weeding out the tricksters. You know, mm. around that time, I think as hard as it could work out to be for some people, I think that's going to be a good outcome overall. Yeah. Yeah, it just matters if you're upholding your own sense of integrity. You know, if if you uh, are are doing right by yourself and others, you won't have anything to worry about around this period of time. <laughs> but if That's you're, uh, right. <laughs> so just stay above board, I guess, will, will keep you out of trouble around this period of time. Because that royal fixed star of Aldebaran, it can grant great power and wealth and things of that nature, but it can also, you know, you can experience an extreme fall from grace as, as with any other fixed star, you know, Antares, Regulus, Fomahawk. You have to use your power in, in service of others and for the good of the whole, not just for the service of yourself. Yeah. And I will back that up because my Mars is exactly on Aldebaran by like almost the minute. So, yeah. and I have gone through this lesson in my life and seen both sides of it. And I, I 100% 
It's it's true. It's actually what keeps me. I don't want to say it's what keeps me in integrity, but um, if there's ever that Gemini moment where you might stray or the Mercury trickster wants to come out, I like pull right back to this. And I'm like, nope, you know better. You know better. <laughs> <laughs> That's your dragon right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know better. Slap your hand, bad girl. Um, <laughs> there's that internal dialogue again, like, right? <laughs> bad mouth, bad mouth. Um, yeah. So, okay. Now, one thing we uh, we just have a few more things to talk about here before we wrap up. But uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is this has happened before. <laughs> Mars, Mars is stationed retrograde in Gem or has gone retrograde in Gemini before, um, obviously. And some of the, the some of those periods, the last one we saw was actually in January 2008, where uh, Mars had done a retrograde dance, uh, starting out in Cancer actually, but it went direct in uh, in Gemini. Um, and I guess I'll just give a couple. So that was in 2008. So the time before that was in the fall of 1990. Uh, and that was the middle of Gemini. And then it's stationed direct in Taurus. Uh, so October through January. Then the fall of 1975 um, from same thing. It started out in Cancer, but did the majority of it in Gemini about November through January of 75, 76. Uh, 1943, fall of 1943 through uh, the beginning of 1944. That was the last time we had a Mars retrograde that was only in Gemini. And that was the full-blown World War II. I mean, battles every day on this. That was a that was a pivotal moment there. So those are just some of the uh, more recent um, ones. Uh, but what I was noticing... I mean, there's there's lots to talk about here. Obviously, there's war connections, at least with the with the U.S. Um, in the 2008, there was tons of action in Iraq. You know, we had the Iraq War going on. Um, right as I've noticed that when Mars stations direct, that's when actually battles seem to emerge. Mm. It's not like the resolution of something. It's like everything happens behind the scenes before you go and attack. And so that was, I saw that in January of 2008, when Mars stationed direct, the U.S. did a big strike that killed a prominent Al-Qaeda leader in fall of 1990. That's when um, the United Nations Security Council uh, created a resolution saying that if, you know, Iraq didn't withdraw its forces from Kuwait, we were basically going to go in and do Operation Desert Storm. Right when Mars went direct, we went in and started the Operation Desert Storm. Um, and then same in 1943 with the fall there, uh, it was, I mean, it was battles every day because it was World War II. Um, and there's some of the biggest atrocities that happened then. But one of the things that happened is there's all these strategic, back to the art of war, right, Shu, that all these strategic conferences with leaders around the world were going on during that period. Um, and one of the biggest ones had to do with the strategizing of planning Operation Overlord, which was actually the Battle of Normandy, which was D-Day, which was a defining factor of actually ending the war that came a couple months after Mars had gone direct. So that was kind of one of the things that I was noticing, at least with the U.S., you know, because we have 
we're Sag rising as a country, um, if you go by the Sibley chart. And so if, if mm-hmm. Mars is activated, we're, we look at enemy territory, whether it's outside in foreign lands or it's within our own country. And where is the United States NATO Mars? Is it in Gemini? I know Uranus yes. is in Gemini uh, for the well, United States Well, and ironically enough, Spencer, here I'll pull up the chart right now, um, but we have a Mars-Neptune uh, square. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in our chart as we talk oh. about Mars where Neptune. Wow, we have Mars almost in... to the degree. Wow. The same yeah. degree. Yeah. Crazy. So we're going through a Neptune opposition as a country right now, right as yeah. we're going through the Pluto return, too. So I, you know, I think this is definitely fun. going to be big <laughs> for the US in the sense of um I mean that's our that's the United States Mars return, right? So I mean there's mm-hmm. There's conflicts that are coming up that are being seeded on some level when we get a Mars return there too. So it's, it's interesting it's as yeah, so, yeah, interesting as well. I'm just looking at Michelle Finey's book um, and under Mercury retro, um, Mars retrograde, Saddam Hussein also has a Mars retrograde. And so you mm. mentioned, wasn't it in the 1990s that Mars was in retrograde again? With the golf yeah, ball, yeah, he was a bit, yeah, he was a big figure of that, yeah, yeah. So he would have been going through a return at that time. Well, and look at Mars. look at what Mars is is uh, providing for. It's the providing for the twelfth house in this chart too. Seek, secret enemies, and we've had a big news cycle with secret, top secret documents that were stolen. Basically, has been coming out in the news cycle. You know, in the, the former president of the United States, so. Maybe there's something that comes back around with that as well, because a lot of the news around the the FBI's raid of Mar-a-Lago uh, started coming out when Mars was in Gemini as well. So maybe yeah. that'll come out um, during the eclipses when it activates Scorpio. Right, for sure, because yeah. there yeah. there's a lot of missing documents in that too. Like that, there's accusations of um, that former president selling state secrets to other organizations so that's that that could be a secret enemy i don't i don't know i don't know what's going to happen with all of that but i think that that's probably part of the the narrative potentially well yeah there's definitely be misappropriation and secrets around just data in general right you know that's such a uh, gemini territory and and aquarius and since saturn's been in aquarius is a big big thing so i could definitely see some data breaches going on or you know just stuff like that but i mean on the other side of thing aside from warring factions uh it's some things that happened um in relation to like in fall of 1990 right as mars goes retrograde uh is when the first web server and the foundation for the World Wide Web happened. The first web page ever written was in November during Mars retrograde in mm. Gemini. Um, Interesting. Coincidentally, the Super Nintendo came out, which was big news if you're yeah. Spencer and I's age. <laughs> I, rem- I do remember that. That was big news. And then on top of that, in the fall of uh, 1975, uh, that was the first time that Bill Gates had written a letter using the term uh, Microsoft to someone. So that's when Microsoft was named, right? We're talking about naming things. That was the first ever use of the term Microsoft, which obviously is a huge... Interesting. Yeah. 
Yes. I mean, Gemini is such a technological um, sign, isn't it? Um, you know, we, with the eclipses going through Gemini, you know, we, we usually find big tech advances, you know, in those years, as we saw with everyone moving online just recently. And one of the things, and this could segue us to actually talk about the eclipses for a second, because I know we want to get to those before we wrap up. Um, But one of the things that happened in January of 2008 was there were markets were plunging uh, around the world because there was a response to, uh, to fear that the U.S. was headed towards an imminent recession, which there's a lot of talk about that going on here. Um, And so in response to that, the Fed reserve actually slashed all these interest rates by, you know, think about Mars, slashed all these interest rates by the most that they'd ever done in in one fell swoop, which they've been raising them recently. So it's interesting to think about the financial side of things, um, especially when we talked about earlier about uh, fear um, and also communication, right? You know, that's a big thing about uh, Gemini is the communication, the news cycle, what's the word going around? so let us take a look at these eclipses in a, in a little more detail um, because they will be in, uh, you know, this, is, this will be Scorpio season. So obviously Mars will be playing a big role. So the, the solar eclipse is going to happen on October 25th um, in the middle of the night here in uh, San Diego. But it's such an interesting pairing. We've got the, you know, the sun and the moon and Venus just freshly off her, her uh, sun Kazemi there. Um, And that's actually a very interesting point, that Venus, Mm -hmm. because this is the first, this is a Venus star point. You know, you know, if you look at the diagram of this pentagram of Venus, this is, uh, and that pentagram of Venus will mm-hmm. process backwards over the degrees. Uh, and this will be the first time it's gone into Libra from Scorpio. So we're being seeing a big shift here uh, in the Venus cycle. It stays uh, in a sign for about 100 years. So this is a pretty massive Venus cycle star point there that's happening right on this eclipse. And it will point back to every four years um, that Venus um you know, has this same positioning. So the last time this would have happened, uh, it, this would have been in Scorpio, but it would have been uh, the October end of October 2018. So there's, I think a, there's going to be a lot of relationship dynamics tied into this eclipse in amongst um, everything else. Yes. Absolutely. There's also, there's also a fixed star, two degrees of um, Scorpio called Mia Placidus. Which oh, is in, right. in in the Argo, which you were talking about, Jason, and the Argonauts. Ah. Um, so it's a, an explorer fixed star, and that Deccan is related to the Five of Cups too. So I like to talk about ritualized mourning. So I do ah. think that with this eclipse, we may have to to ritualize our mourning on some level to be able to compost an old form that isn't bringing us any vitality anymore. And then we we gain an awareness potentially of something that needs to be let go of, I think, at this eclipse. Mm -hmm. Well, this eclipse is very much to do with like coming back in. You know, it's the new moon, it's the south node, you know, the sign of Scorpio as well. 
you know, it's all the symbolism of having to withdraw and come back in uh, mm. and and to as opposed to a full moon where you where you want to to expand and externalize. You ever think of these um, new moon eclipses that are on the south node as the beginning of an ending? Sometimes. I thought about yeah. that with the last uh, Sagittarius one in December of uh, last year I, yeah. and kind of watched that happen in, in people's lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think they're great opportunities here, like looking at the silver lining again, like it's it's a great opportunity to um, um, really tap into your own flow and your own spirituality you know, from, from whatever experience unfolds um, out of this eclipse, they will be big, I guess, lessons to help us to draw back into, you know, our own, um, um, our own meaning, you know, as opposed to someone else's, you know. So, um, so I, I would suggest with this eclipse to, you know, find time to be alone you know, maybe a little bit of fasting or to, to find time to be on your own in a little, you know, in be a little hermit for, for that couple of weeks, I think would be, would be a good. <laughs> I'm going to be on a, a two week vacation with my partner oh. during the whole eclipse. <laughs> Who's this? Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> this is Shu's answer for everything. Go be a hermit. I know. She works. Right. Well, she has, mean, you have all that, that land. <laughs> you can yeah. like get away from it all. So, yeah. Wow. But, no, that's um, good advice, though. It yeah. is. Would that have something significantly tied to the end of 2018? Because it is very much a relationship um, cycle here. Maybe not to the end of 2018. It could be. Like I mean, October, I, end of October 2018. Sorry. Well, part of the trip is to like scout out a new place to move. And honestly, I've wanted to move for a very long time um, before I met my current partner. So maybe if I went back, maybe in 2018, there was like a, a moving theme. <laughs> or a financial, no uh, financial even. Um, because, yeah. you know, Venus, Scorpio. I, I do remember that period when I was in consultations. There was a lot of intense relationship stuff. And a lot of it actually had to do with finances. Oh, mm. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that one? End of I kind of remember everybody else's. Like, I remember, like, reading... Uh, <laughs> And then I was just disassociating from my own life. I'm like, you don't even yeah. remember that part. <laughs> Nothing happened. Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it, it was going to be a, a doozy. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing that's interesting about this eclipse too. Um, I mean, it's nice that kind of nice that Mercury and Mars are uh, in, in a trine together once again. They had that formation earlier before Mercury went retrograde. Um, but what I think is interesting about this point too, is Jupiter is like on the threshold. It's on the, you know, zero degrees Aries on the world point there. This point when it's triggered, has a lot to do with changes in power. Of course, we're seeing that during like, we're getting to uh, the election season here in the U S. Um, but we haven't had, uh, it's been many years that since we've had Jupiter, cross the Aries point and do so in a 
a threefer, not just one pass. So I think there's something interesting about this eclipse too, just because Jupiter's still Mars ruled, right? Um, so that component, I mean, I'll have to wait and see what happens with there, but it does seem very significant just on a world scale and mm. as far as power dynamics go. Mm-hmm. What's going on with uh, Biden's chart around this period of time? I know. What's what's he doing? I'm curious. I don't know. Do I have? I, I'm sure I have him somewhere here. Where are you at, Joe? <laughs> uh, Has he got an accurate time? Um, he does. I think. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Uh, he, what does he have going on? Well, he's got a lot of 12th house, but he's used to a lot of 12th house there. Oh, that's right. It's in the opposition to his moon. Mm. Moon over there in, in Taurus. Um, so that will be, that will be going on in relation to his eighth house there. And squared to Pluto? Squared to his Pluto. Yeah. Um, so there could be some dynamics there. His moon was definitely involved during his, the inauguration because that was when Mars was, um, what was going on with Mars? Mars was on that degree. Mars was going from the, I think, I don't know. I'm pulling it back. Too many astro data, but I know <laughs> Mars was involved on uh, January 20th of 2021 on that mm. right after the insurgents. I think Mars was on his moon or near his moon at that point. So I just think well, when you have a president that is, you know, elderly, you always are looking at these big I know. pivotal chapter markers. I you're know. like, oh, is something going to happen? Because I think everyone's kind of on edge sometimes when you have uh, something, you know, at any point. This is true for everyone, but I think it, as you get older, the challenges around that, I think there's a certain faction where you're trying, you're almost like, is something going to happen to him? And, and you don't want to well, predict that, but that would be Mars, a major dynamic change. Mars does go direct on his Saturn, which mm-hmm. is, Mar- you know, that's, <laughs> but that could have to do with warring factions. That's, that's and, true. That the, you know, like, enemies, he has, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So but I mean, all... his moon is involved on the sixth house cusp. So yeah. possibly, you know, some health issues yeah. might prevent might come up or just the stress of dealing with it all Mm, because um that's another interesting thing about uh one of the fixed stars um that are kind of in the path of mars going retrograde was uh, a bellatrix Mm. at 21 degrees gemini which happens to be the u.s mars right and the 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 kind of the catchphrase with that was success with stress achievement Mm. with a Uh. cost you know, yeah. success with a shadow, uh, you know, there's a price to pay <laughs> for it all. So, um, and, or, and they're talking about personal growth uh, needed to face one's own demons or shadows. And it made me think of like the nine of swords energy, even though 21 degrees is 10 of swords, uh, just that kind of game brought up again. Mm-hmm. But so I guess we will uh, wish Joe the best there. Um, <laughs> let's take a look at November 8th. You know, Mars has stationed, right? Mars stationed on the 30th. Um, and also in this time, Jupiter has crossed the threshold back into Pisces. So, you know, it's only two weeks later, but so much has happened, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
of course, the diet, you know, we can't ignore the fact that the moon uh, being exalted, that's nice. But uh, the moon is on Uranus by degree. Mercury is combust the sun getting ready for a uh, superior conjunction there. And pretty close, you know, this is a total eclipse. It's right near the south node. Venus isn't far off. You know, Mercury and Venus are both combust on either side of the sun. Um, Full square to Saturn. In the square to Saturn. This is election day in America. And this is election day. And this, (laughs) oh, this is a party in a chart. Um, Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Well, that Mercury moon opposition, you know, to me, it's always like that balance between the head and the heart, you know. Um, So there's a sense of, I guess, fickleness or like a inability to integrate what one feels with what one thinks and you know and compromises needing to be um be at play I guess um that square to Saturn you know looks difficult you know it looks like there's you know certainly obstructions and blockages you know around you know sentiments of the public with you know maybe policies and and um, the narratives going around at that time. So, you know, coming in into an aggravating um, tension with, you know, you know, the, the, the collective authority, you know, the, the, the social structure, that kind of thing. I mean, I think the other thing we've been seeing as a pattern recently is people casting doubt on the authenticity of our elections in America and, mm. Which is really frustrating, and it's something that uh, when when we do, I don't I don't know how to put it. When you cast doubt on whether an election is legitimate or not, that just casts uh, that puts cracks in the entire system. So, unfortunately, with Mars going retrograde right around that election point, you know, I, there's a possibility that maybe there is people that are trying to cast doubt on the legitimacy of various elections if they don't get the result that they are they, that they wanted and that's a strategy that is being put into place by some some bad actors trying to prime the pump for being able to change the outcome of an election if it doesn't go their way so uh, it's it's a little i'm i have some anxiety about that um I think that we're hanging in a very, very difficult, perilous place with uh, United States democracy right now. I think it's under severe threat, not just from, you know, I don't know, the like the insurrection. I think that there's a, a bigger system in play that is, um, you know, with the Supreme Court and things of that nature as well. There's a lot of things that are being put in place to undermine free and fair elections in America. And I think that we're going to see some of that ugliness potentially around that eclipse period because people kind of lose their minds around eclipses a little bit that they aren't thinking rationally all the time a lot of the rationality is turned off around this period of time so i know that she wants to paint this the silver lining and everything but um sometimes we have to call out uh where it could be a little bit of a bumpy patch the good thing is is the moon is exalted during that period mm-hmm. of time so that is nice uh and there may be something where if if things do go uh, a certain direction in the election, that there could be an unexpected 
generosity that could come out of that because that's the that's the, the six saves. of pentacles right yeah. so maybe there's resources that are able to be uh put into play that we may yeah, or gains that might come from it right right there. So there I there I just did uh, a Gemini flip-flop. <laughs> I know. Well, I was thinking, I was like, well, what about the imbalance of the giving hand? And we seeing right. how people right. have a little more influence. Um, and we think, yeah. you know, we're getting the trickle down of some sort, but who knows? I, I mean, the whole T-square with Saturn in the, uh, you know, the U.S.'s third house. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of like the polling? To some extent, the, you know, the sharing of the information and the vote itself, like as far as like collecting the Possibly. data of the. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that will play uh, into it. Right. Because, I mean, you know, Mars is turning back around, obviously, to get to this square with Neptune again that we keep that we talked about earlier in the program while it's in a position to with the, you know, the Neptune opposition with, you know, because it's. Neptune's retrograding back in the sky and getting ready to make another opposition uh, to the U.S. Neptune. So there just definitely seems to be some interesting, like some confusion that will be going on within all of this yeah. um, and the sides and, and naming it back to what you were saying, Spencer, naming, naming who won, naming yeah. who's the, you know, like it, it feels like there could be, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say in the dark, but. Well, and on, on some level, societies are intellectual constructs. There's just an agreement that we have to, you know, be organized on some level. And when people disagree intellectually about those things, it's, there's a fragility that comes in um, with our, our, our quote unquote institutions. So I, I think that when there's all this ambiguity with the opposition with Neptune and whatnot, I mean, it's, it, there's, there's a, that dissolving quality that can come in where the confusion, the illusion, trying to, to create illusion, I think is another thing that um, mm. politicians in the past have yeah. tried to do when, they're, when their backs are against the wall. So that, that is something that I think to watch out for as well as people who are deliberately trying to craft illusion to, to get what they want. Um, does that make sense? a particular picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Um, um, I'm just speaking from experience because our last election, you know, we had tabulations of votes, and then you had the the loser of the election basically trying to completely cast an illusion and carry it out for for months, and that incited people to literally storm the capital of our country. So it's mm. it's happened before. That's why I'm saying like this is history tends to repeat itself. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what will happen, but that's the that's the 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 canvas that this election is is also being you know coming directly after and, and potentially could be painted on. And I know a lot of people are just getting really fired up about it. And I just just want everybody to get along with one another. <laughs> this is my well, plea yeah. from Venus. I know it's like that. Well, and it is a Venus uh, eclipse there, but I. It doesn't help that Venus is, you know, we have the exalted moon, but Venus is a bit debilitated right now. Venus is <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, you know, I'm a little, it's a little hot in here. Uh, my ruler is backwards wearing Neptune. <laughs> yeah. Help me out, people. Um, 
I mean, any thoughts on, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's how it goes when we have a solar eclipse in the South node, we get a lunar eclipse, uh, a North node lunar eclipse and the reverse in other ways. So any thoughts on just this eclipse being aligned with a North node progress? Mm, what do you think, Shu? <laughs> um, <laughs> Toss that one to Shu. I mean, as a total outsider, I guess. I don't know much about American politics. But it doesn't have to be about American politics. It could be just about life in mm. general. Because I'm sure people are like, well, what about me? What? Yeah. I, I know we have things going on in the U.S. or I don't even live in the U.S. Like, tell me a little bit about myself. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I don't think it's going to be as bad as that first eclipse. You know, I think this one... You know, there might be some happy surprises there uh, in amongst the crud, you know. I think it's more the first one that we need to worry about, um, you know, with that that new moon eclipse in Scorpio. That that one looks a little bit more sinister. This one, I think, you know, they, certainly there's going to be, you know, that Saturn-Uranus theme that's been ongoing for the last couple of years of structural changes. You know, we are we are doing it. We are going through big revolutionary changes in society and we're living through that but perhaps you know I'm hopeful with that exalted moon with the north node that we might get to perhaps see um some glimpses um of benefit you know or just seeing it not not necessarily receiving it so far perhaps maybe just just seeing the possibilities because I do remember the Taurus eclipse um can't remember which one it was one of the last couple wasn't too bad I think it was the one in the middle of the year you know the Scorpio one was was much worse than the Taurus one so you know I I, I'm kind of going by those observations and thinking maybe this this lunar eclipse might be you know we might hang in there (laughs) yeah we well, my, moon, my, my moon's at 15 degrees to us, so I'll let you all know. Right. It's angular for me too, so I'm I will feel this one. Um mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. I think that it, it's uh it's important to maintain hope during these periods of time. And despite my somewhat mm, challenging outlook on the state of affairs in america at this point you know the fact of the matter is is that oftentimes the people are the ones that can shape the outcomes so the more people that are hopeful during these times and don't give in to the despair or the fear of mars retrograde in a in a very difficult decade the more likelihood a positive outcome could could manifest mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a, a super enthusiastic. Yeah. There, yeah, Mel, but, no. but, yeah. yeah. It could be yeah, just because we're going through a heat wave. It's rough sailing right I, now. It's, I think I, I'm going thing. through a heat wave right yeah. now. Talk a lot. I'm in the dark. If you're watching this, I'm like, I'm yeah. like, get it. I'm, g- <laughs> I just think it's sometimes I'm setting <laughs> for me. And maybe I'm a pessimist on, on some level. Um, I try to be optimistic, but I think sometimes when we're going through really challenging times, it's almost insulting not to acknowledge it 
And it's, it's healing to acknowledge that we're struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to acknowledge that you're struggling first before you can fix it or find peace That's or right. deal with trauma. And I, I just don't think that this is going to be a, a peaceful time. This is going to be a chaotic time and it's okay to acknowledge that. And then, then how do we find and recenter ourselves? Because mm -hmm. we're, we're in the thick of big, massive social change right now. We're in the thick of big, you know, world climate changes right now where we are being tasked to be able to try to be very flexible with our past narratives because it's a necessity. You know what I'm saying? Like, because people will need to change to survive moving forward. And it's our dragon, the collective it, dragon. There, we are fighting a dragon right now. And you mm -hmm. don't fight a dragon by being like, well, maybe we could paint its toenails right now, you know, and we could put a flower hat on it. No, you get your sword out and you do the hard work of mm -hmm. actually going to war and going to battle with the dragon, right? I think that that's, yeah. and I don't mean that like we have to go to war physically necessarily. I hope that we don't, to be honest with you. But I do think that we have to have courage to face whatever shadow that, that erupts in this Mars retrograde period and either own our responsibility around it or be courageous enough to band together and find collective solutions. Mm, yeah. I mean, with this particular full moon eclipse, I know that every time we've had a Taurus uh, eclipse, I've had something go wrong with my power. Um, mm. But every time we've overcome that, it's been an improvement on our power on system. Power, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's things that needed to be done so that we can gain some improvements. And that's kind of how I see this exalted moon and Uranus North Node playing out, that there is some good that comes out of it ultimately, even though it's a total pain in the ass. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think that really just brings us back to the whole tarot conversation we had earlier and we really never touched on mars being the card of the tower right mm. like it has to break down in order to be rebuilt yes. um mm -hmm. and it's yeah and it's happening it in uh <laughs> flying out the yeah. building um yeah. And it's happening in, in Taurus. And we talked about this earlier with the fixed signs. It's like, oh, give us some bit, you know, like, but this, these are big ingrained, you, you know, shoot talking about the power, power grid, power structure, you know, it's, mm -hmm. we, if we're going to infrastructure, evolve, yeah, infrastructure in the biggest infrastructure we have, Mother Earth, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I think there's going to be a lot of environmental um, things that are coming up right now here too. And, and maybe like knock on, I don't, I don't have to knock on wood. This is not superstitious. I'm like, I have to knock on wood to be like, maybe there'll be some breakthroughs for the planet. <laughs> um, you know, like some innovation or, uh, you know, cause that's what hopefully Uranus can bring us on occasion, especially when we're talking about the strategic nature of Mars and us seeing some themes about, um, breakthrough technologies that start to burrow in and get a foothold during these time periods. So it might not even be something, you know, in the, in the nature of the receptive yin signs, and that might not even be quite out there. There could be all these stuff going on behind the scenes that's going to, you know, in time, in months to come, facilitate these shifts uh, in, in this evolving of 
infrastructure, power, food. Well, well and, and Mel, look at look at the the decan that Saturn is in squaring this too. It's the Six of Swords yes. card. Mm -hmm. It says, "Hey, Saturn binds you to something. It says this is your responsibility." And at this point, at this eclipse, it's a collective responsibility to move on, to like yeah. be innovative, to like say, "Hey, the old narrative, the old." idealistic structure isn't working. It's not working for the planet. It's not working for marginalized people. It's not working for the majority of people. It's only benefiting a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of people right now. And we have to be willing to move on and say, what, are, how are we going to do something in a new way? And I think this eclipse is going to, to, to be highlighted by that because, you know, Saturn's in the overcoming position to the moon and Uranus mm -hmm. in here. And whenever Saturn's in the overcoming position to any planet, that Saturn's in charge. Saturn is exerting the influence on that and says, hey, I'm making the rules now and you're going to have to do it my way. And Saturn does it, it from a responsible, mature, hopefully 30,000 foot viewpoint. <laughs> hopefully in there. Right? Hopefully, right? Well, Sustainable way. Sustainable. And, there you go. Long term. And what we didn't, and what we, I mean, because this isn't a Saturn broadcast per se, but sure. um, when we uh, looked at the solar eclipse a couple of weeks before this, that's just two days after Saturn stations direct. So yeah. Yeah. I, to, just to add, out. you know, emphasis to what you're saying, it's like a Saturn that is like, okay, I'm emerging. I've got yeah. plans. This is how it's going to be. You know, um, because a planet in its own domain can implement whatever it wants, even if there is tension all around it, you know, well, like that's and think kind of about the, the passing of, of the baton, Mel, of like uh, Mars turning retrograde and, and losing yeah. agency, mm -hmm. power and Saturn turning direct and gaining it. So I just think that this time will be much more Saturnian than Marshall, because Mars isn't going to be in charge anymore, <laughs> you know, like Mars is going to be reviewing and backtracking and Saturn's going to start moving forward. Limitations will start moving forward. Restructuring of long-term agreements are going to be moving forward. Well, and that's the interesting thing too, because one of the cycles within the Mars retrograde is the trying to Saturn. And yeah. the first one, September 27th, when Saturn is still retrograde and Mars is direct, and then, like you said, we get this kind of flip-flop where yeah. now Saturn is direct again. Uh, and on November 28th, they meet uh, in another trine when Mars is, you know, closest to the Earth there. And also Venus is getting ready to oppose that there. <laughs> um, but there seems to be, it's interesting how Saturn can be like, okay, Mars, you're, 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 you're backwards. You're chewing over things. You're, you're going to meet the sun soon. You're, you know, like it seems like Saturn then has a directive because um, I find it interesting to go back to like the tarot bit that uh, I was talking about with the switch from Gemini to Cancer, going from the choice of the lovers to the chariot of um, Cancer, because they actually complete this trine on March 30th, right when both planets move to water signs. So there's an interesting like development of just between the Mars and Saturn cycle going on too, which plays into this Mars retrograde as well. That carries us into a whole nother sign 
um, element um, for both. So anyways, just kind of playing with ideas there about when we're talking about this, like Mars, what am I doing? Saturn, what am I constructing? What's the plan? You know, there seems to be this long-term... Um, Mental discipline is the word that comes up with that combination in, in the trine. Instead of frustration of action, yeah. it's saying let's take disciplined action that that understands the ramifications of its actions rather than just pursues it impulsively. There's a productivity to it, you know, yeah. and there's this kind of balanced productivity, like where on one on one hand, you know, we get to see a bit of action, and and then they swap over. We get to see a little bit of. Um, um, you know, more conscious thinking behind it. And, you know, there's a dance between Mars and Saturn there where they're really trying to work together and, and to bring a positive outcome in some way and taking turns to, to have their say. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, and, yeah, interesting that they both end up in the last trine in water signs, you know, where, um, you know, as if, as if, um <laughs> There's nothing they can do now. That's it. We're throwing caution to the wind now. We've done all we can. Let's just see how it goes. Let's see how the ship floats. <laughs> going, going, flow, going with the flow. Um, yeah. So now we've talked about so much here. Uh, we do have to get to saying a couple things before we leave about how to deal with this energy. Um, mm. I know one of the things we didn't talk about is, and maybe I'll just do a brief mention of the fact, unless anybody else has anything to share, you know, we're getting to the point where if you think back to when we we're talking about Venus retrograde back in November, there was a lot of action going on with Venus and Mars making uh, three conjunctions to one another. Well, you know, the the the, the lovers, uh, if we call them that, are tension <laughs> during this Mars retrograde. So there's going to be uh, a square Venus and Mars are going to make a square on September 16th, an opposition on November 30th when Mars is uh, closest to Earth, and then a square again fe February 4th. Um, so it's it's kind of a different dynamic between Mars and Venus. There's more of this activating and uh, there, there's tension in, in the opposites between the two there. So just relationally, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff to work through and sort through with just the nature of their cycle and where they're at during this retrograde. Mm -hmm. So just put that in your pocket. If you're like, Hmm, why is, why is he making me angry? You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's you're working through something out. Um, so let's share, uh, how do we work with this? How do we manage it? What are our coping strategies? Uh, Shu and I were talking about some, um, herbal kind of, you know, if we're dealing with anxiety um, and tension in our in our nervous system, you know, what are what's the best way to deal with this? How do we deal yeah, with I, I definitely think um, nervous system management is a key, um, especially if we're going to have that monkey mind effect of too many choices and yeah, probably fear of missing out and things like that. <clears throat> so I always my go to for for nervous system. Like I love lemon balm. I'm not sure if you mm. use lemon balm, but lemon balm is one of my favorite. That's balms. Melissa. Yes, it is. It is Melissa Aficionel. <laughs> That's right. Just go go hit up Mel. <laughs> Just hit up Mel. Just get some lemon balm. 
I love lemon balm. balm in a tea. And, you know, and these are herbs that are all, um, I guess, um, uh, you know, we, we want to try and work sympathetically with Mars. You know, Mars is a hot planet. Um, so if we can take it in a form that's hot, even if they are cooling herbs, but if we can take it in a form that is hot, like say in a hot tea, um, hot bath, that kind of thing, you know, we're kind of appeasing that element of Mars um, um, through the form that we take that herb in. I think that's one thing that Culpepper um, suggested, you know, that we need to try and always have herbs in the form that corresponds to the nature of the planet, mm. even, if the, even if the herb doesn't correspond to the nature of that planet. Um, and, and I guess you guys will be coming into winter um, and so, so with Mars being such a big, um, uh, such a, a planet associated with blood and our vitality and energy, um, you probably need to be aware of your immune system as well. So echinacea mm-hmm. is also a Mars mm-hmm. herb that I think would be really good. It's also good for cleaning the blood, but it's also cooling at the same time. And same with nettles, you know, nettles is definitely a Mars herb. Um, It's great for reducing inflammation, whether that is like inflamed anger, um, but it also is good at sort of building blood at the same time. And um, I read as well that it was great for damp heat, and I thought that's a good um, Mars and Gemini remedy, I thought, because Mars and Gemini seems like damp heat to me. Yeah. I, I think that uh, the nervous system, I would agree 100%, is something to take good care of. I think that Mars can inflame our nerves and, you know, things can get on our nerves. Too many thoughts mm-hmm. can get, bring us anxiety, adrenaline. I'm not an herbal expert, but, uh, you know, I believe that there is a class of herbs named herb, Nervines. Nervines, uh, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. that I think would be beneficial, uh, I believe, herbs like chamomile or lavender might be something Mm. that could help calm you down i know those work for me i if i'm feeling anxious um if i if i'm getting that nine of swords experience with my venus and gemini too i i use a little bit of lavender oil on my wrists when i'm trying to sleep and then it helps me go to sleep Mm -hmm. um and chamomile tea calms me down um so i don't know like i said i'm not that an expert on herb herbal those are classic. You can't, okay. can't go wrong with either one of those. Um, well, there you go. It makes me think of accessible. skull cap a little, yeah. just just because I'm like, put a put a cap on this skull think, cap, yeah. or maybe go to cola. I think um, what else I'll say mercury, is utilizing the 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 um the tools of Gemini, yeah. writing, journaling, getting yes. your feelings and thoughts out on the paper, and I think that it, journaling is important because. A lot of times what we'll do in this modern society is we'll go right onto our social medias and fire off an opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's going to get you in a lot of trouble during this period of time. So maybe write it out yourself and you can express as much anger as you want without hurting anybody. And then you can get an objective perspective when you read back and be like, oh, wow, (laughs) there's a lot of anger on that page. Or like through expressing yourself through storytelling, poetry, music, singing, one thing that helped me today, I was having a, a real issue um, that, that I was getting very angry about that, that I didn't have a lot of control over. And my partner taught me to do uh, a, a tapping technique, emotional freedom technique, the tapping, while you're also saying affirmations. And it took me from like a 
a nine or a 10 anger where I was like, I feel like breaking things right now. Um, that's how angry I was about my personal situation. And it, it brought me down. And, and if, during that period, it changed from wanting to break something to feeling sadness. The feeling behind my anger was actually deep sadness and feeling of loss. And it, it allowed me to spill some tears and bring that passionate uh, breakage martial energy down to like to cool your temperament cooled it down and it yeah. was through speaking it it was through tapping like little energy centers you know and speaking aloud an affirmation and really getting the, the thought and the feeling out and getting clarity around it so that's something that that really helped me deal with uh anger through a situation that didn't have a good answer does that make sense mm -hmm. and i think we'll see that that Mars brings us back. Yeah, that brings us back <laughs> yeah. to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I had in my notes to focus on study as well, like mm. same with what you similar thought, because there is a lot of Jupiterian mercurial energy tied into this whole Mars journey. And I think it would be a very productive way of using this as an intense focus on an area of study or something that you might might have wanted to do, like join. Spencer's study group. <laughs> um, yeah. But also, um, the pen becomes that. mightier than the sword, right? There's your weapon. Exactly. Protection magic, I think, if you're into that uh, sort of thing, is also um, a good, good remedy, I think, for this time, you know, to just to build up some of your psychic defenses to prevent mm. attacks and. Yeah. you know, things that could lead to anger or resentment and other sort of Marsy conditions, um, as well as working on, um, you know, reflecting on your life, personal relationships and, and seeing how you feel about if, if there are any injustices. Because to me, I think that's the one thing that really drives Mars when they see that something's not fair uh, and that sets them off uh, onto a whole big. <laughs> where's your, where's your Where's your Mars? Where's your Mars? <laughs> oh, I've got Mars is by far my worst planet. <laughs> it's in detriment in Libra. I so that's it, what I your That's what your Mars Libra. does. Yeah. <laughs> your Mars is like, angry when you things are Mars and Libra because I'm pretty sure you just described Mars and Libra perfectly. Yeah. Yes, in the yeah. ninth house as well. You know, seeing yeah. seeing you know fairness and equality. Uh, and fighting for it, you know. <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah. I love I, how we we all we all filter things through our personal subjective personal, lenses. Of course we do. You know? that's, that's, that's which is that's great. Part that's it. part of being human, right? And and yeah. so yeah. I think that well, two things to go with the the whole journaling thing, um, and to like because I was talking about earlier with Mars and Gemini and being a whirlwind in your head and things can, you know, thoughts can turn into like tornadoes, basically, um, if you let it get there. Uh, a technique from uh, the artist's way, you know, she talks about doing the morning pages. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I journal every morning, like you could go back in my journal and you see a, de a very detailed account of my every day of my life for the last, I think, like eight years, which is great from an astrology perspective. But the idea of the morning pages is you just sit down to write for, you know, a couple pages um, in the morning. You don't write about anything specific necessarily. Maybe if you want to talk about something, but the idea is to get the ideas out of your head 
because yeah, a lot of times we it. just have so much going on in your head that then you start to churn that out. But if you actually write it out and get mm-hmm. it out, then it's gone. You like kind of like dispelled it and are able to kind of let it go, especially if it's non, uh, I'm forgetting the word I'm looking for, especially if it doesn't really pertain to your, your daily life or anything you need to carry with you. Really. If it's not helping you live your best life, then maybe it needs to go. So like kind of get it out in that process. Um, or even doing that like weekly. Um, and another thing I did today for the first time was a holotropic breath work, which ah, I found cool. very, you know, that's very Martian in a sense and Gemini. Cause I obviously Gemini is kind of the, the breath of sorts in the lungs. And this breath work is, is like, it, you know, you breathe in through your stomach and you breathe through your heart and then you, you know, let it out, but it goes fast. You know, it's, it's kind of like Lamaze. I'm like, am I having a baby right now? No, I'm just breathing. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and uh yeah so but it's interesting because what's happening is it's like getting into your para you know your nervous system and a, like a uh, a side effect of doing this breath work is a lot of times emotional content will come out mm-hmm. um and on top of that you your hands which are also Mar- mars ruled right yeah. uh will go into what is known as like the lobster claw and they will pe- go into like paralysis and you mm-hmm. can't move them and I could feel that happening to me towards the end, um, but we stopped right before I was like doing it. But I thought that was very just interesting, the whole connection with, you know, the lungs and the hands and the, the fast mm. and the breathing. And like things were starting to come up for me. Like I was like, <laughs> you know, like starting to like, am I going to cry right now? But it's just, you're just oxygenating your your blood flow and getting them moving. And so... I definitely recommend, you know, maybe taking a, a breathwork class like that, or I'm sure there's online resources for it. And if your hands claw up, it's normal. It, don't freak out. It'll, it'll, it'll stop. Um, Aren't there some sources that attribute the lungs to Gemini as well? Yeah. So yes. The lungs breath, are Gemini. Breathing <clears throat> sounds, you know, breathing exercises. Breathwork is a good one. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Well, one, one last thing I would add that I was thinking about, I was, you know, uh, T. Susan Chang talks about having a a spell that she does each day, right? She's the author of 36 Secrets here. She she like pulls two tarot cards and then she'll write out a spell for the day that is basically an affirmation, I think, of the energy of those two cards. And I think working with affirmations and speaking things into existence is really powerful during this period of time too. Yeah. Mantra work as well. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be my last recommendation as far as um, you know, how to deal with this energy. I think think before you speak too. I think trying oh, yeah. to be, yeah, I think being less impulsive about firing off an opinion, asking good questions rather than making declarative statements, I think can mm-hmm. s- solve a lot of issues and keep you out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah. And, and physical exercise as well, you know, talking yeah. about bringing in the breath and um, having an outlet for Mars to do its thing so it doesn't play out in another way. Um, so a good time to put on those shoes and start your exercise regime. That's right. Get it all out. Get it all out. Well, you know, we wish you, we wish you the best with Mars retrograde. We're all in it together. Just remember that. We're all in it together. <laughs> all right. Well, before we go here, uh, Shu, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Okay. People can find me uh, at intercycle.com, I-N-T-E-R-P-S-Y-C-L-E.com. And I'm Intercycle Astrology on 
uh, socials. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm available for consultations and um, I've finished teaching for the moment um, but could have something coming up later on this year. Sounds great. Spencer, what about Uh, you? You can find me at spencermichaud.com, M-I-C-H-A-U-D. I also have a YouTube channel, Spencer Michaud Astrology. That's probably where I'm most active in addition to my Instagram account, which is also just my name. Um, I have a interesting offering coming up. Uh, It's where I'm going to be doing guided group study uh, starting on the 26th of September at the new moon in Libra. We're going to be doing a three-month study uh, focusing on uh, Demetra George's ancient astrology and theory and practice. So it's a sort of a book club slash guided group class type of thing where we're going to be reading passages, discussing. uh, There's going to be a Discord group. Hopefully we'll be able to create a sense of community and ask a lot of good questions. I'm a little, a little nervous about Mars, but maybe it'll just be like, we're really excited about learning. So I hope right. that's the case, but you can find more information on that at the, the booking button on my website, spencermichaud.com. And I'm also available for consultations as well. Nice. Well, and of course I will have a shoe and Spencer's information over on my page, energeticprinciples.com. Uh, so there's always a blog post where you'll be able to direct link on over to them. Uh, you can also book a consultation with me if you are interested in doing so. Um, you can find me on Instagram at energetic principles. I don't have a whole lot going on right now. I've been taking a break from social media, uh, to focus on, you know, just, in my own life, but I'm still available for consultation. That's all still there. Um, but just saying that, because I, I, you know, if you're, if you don't stay like on it, I feel like you you know, there's just so much stimulus out there. <laughs> I, I'm done hustling. I don't yeah. feel, if I don't feel like this is, comes to my Mars <laughs> on El Deborah. I'm like, am I in integrity by forcing myself to write a post that I'm not in no, you feel like doing right now? No, it's like I'm, I'm you gotta ex, you gotta exhale every once in a while. Yeah, you know? but I'm still available because I'm not a content machine. Doesn't mean I'm not doing my job. Um, <laughs> I guess that was a side rant. <laughs> you tell Mars is on my Mars right now. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird world we're living in right now. Like, you it know, is a, a weird lot of world we're, living. we're having to do all sorts of things that really degrade our humanity. So. It's okay to, to defend your right to be. I think that's another thing that's good I with this energy. I just want to be. Yeah. Let me be. Right. Oh, my God. I love it. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you for that affirmation. There you go. Um, all right. Well, on another note, uh, sharing is caring. Spread the podcast around. Uh, share it with a friend. Uh, feel free, if you watch on YouTube, you know, leave a comment. You can email any one of us. We always like feedback. Um, leave a review wherever you might listen to this podcast that, that helps too. Um, and really that, that is it. We are kind of all talked out here, but I do want to thank Shu and Spencer, the retrograde gang for (laughs) joining me here again, uh, for Mars retrograde. I think, I think I'm just going to go ahead and say that we did a really good treatment. Thorough. Yeah, it's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) We're embodying the energy of of Mars, I think. Today. It will be good to listen back on this over the seven months that we will have Mars in Gemini. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah bookmark this episode. You may be coming back <laughs> at different times. It'll um, make more sense. <laughs> it'll, I know, right? It'll be, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. So 
Thank you, guys. We will. Uh, I don't know when the next time, but uh, it'll be. I'm sure it'll be a retrograde, but we'll be back. Okay. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in uh, to us talk all about Mars retrograde in Gemini. We wish you the best out there. Uh, get out of your head, um, and uh, you know you'll get through it. <laughs> all right, and as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.